0: Welcome to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997.
1: From the high desert in the great American Southwest, I bid you all good evening, good morning, as the case may be, across all these many, many time zones from the Hawaiian and Tahitian island chains all the way eastward across flyover country to the Caribbean and the U.S. Virgin Islands, south into South America north to the pole and worldwide on the internet this is Coast to Coast AM. I'm Art Bell. Good morning. Cloning. Cloning, 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 cloning. We're going to be cloning. I've been listening to the news reports now since the news broke about cloning. And one thing is absolutely obvious to me of all the interviews of all the scientists I've seen in Scotland elsewhere. All of them say, yes, uh, humans could be cloned, yes, this is the technology, yes, it's real. But they all say, but why would we want to do it? <laughs> oh, my. So, we will get to cloning tonight. As a matter of fact, uh, here is a quick facts on the subject, Art. Here's a question to ask the listeners if the mood strikes. If cloning of humans was a foregone conclusion... And a national vote was taken to determine who would be cloned. Who would you most like to see cloned? Now, See, now we're getting down to business. And who would you least want to see cloned? I'm interested in hearing answers. For the record, here's my list and why. Uh, art Bell first. Uh, that way we could have an all-art network with a new Art Bell taking over every five hours. When one art got sick from airplane air, a substitute art could fill in for him. Ramona Bell. All those extra arts would have to have some companionship. Ronald Reagan, obvious reasons here. Thomas Jefferson, we could use the wisdom to fix the mess the country is in. Kathy Ireland, uh, this one also self-explanatory. From Chris, listening to the mighty WWTN in Nashville. Chris is um, on the right track. I suppose everybody's going to run around wringing their hands and asking,
0: should we do it? should we do it is it right
1: is it wrong well too late cats out of the bag you know they can try and pass laws anyway we'll we'll get into all of this and i am not going to take the track everybody else is going to take i'm going to go in a different direction with it because i think it's foregone conclusion hey 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 welcome to wtvnam in columbus ohio 610 on the dial, 5,000 regional watts. All around Columbus, great to have you along. And uh, welcome to the network as we continue to grow, 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 grow. Now, happy birthday. The diamond anniversary for WOAI, 1200 AM in San Antonio, Texas. The diamond anniversary. OAI, you know, is one of the nation's oldest... Uh, uh, most uh, venerable and certainly most powerful radio stations, along with an- another uh, uh, many, many of the same sort that we're fortunate to have on the network, but the Diamond Anniversary, so happy birthday, uh, W-O-A-I. Uh, I got this fax, and I don't know what to make of it, Are Today on the island of Hawaii, in the Hilo area, freakish 80-mile-an-hour winds Blue tops off about 200 homes. Say what? Meteorologists have never seen this kind of wind activity in Hawaii in absence of a hurricane. Repeat, absence of a hurricane. The island of Oahu is set to receive some of the wind in about two hours. Could all this be a harbinger of Ed Dame's remote viewing regarding the jet stream lowering? I don't know. What would cause 80-mile-per-hour winds in Hawaii? Short of a hurricane, I I have no idea what sort of dynamics uh, could be at play there to cause this. All right, I'm still sick. You know, I'm still sick. And I really got sick. I mean, I really got sick beginning last Monday. Um, Went down and tried to relax a little bit in Mazatlan. Took a 757 airline, unnamed, because of what I'm about to do. And a 757 coming back, too. And then a 757 uh, to uh, Las Vegas from uh, Los Angeles. And precisely seven days later, I got really, really sick. Now I went to China. I got sick. I went to Paris. I got sick. I went to Scandinavia. I got sick. I am sick of getting sick on airplanes. And I'm really sick of it. I was so out of it Friday night. Uh, Having a good time here, you'll recall. By the way, we're going to have an update on the Mel Waters uh, uh, infinite hole. Mel's going to be back on the air around 1 o'clock or so Pacific time because there have been developments, let me put it that way. (sighs) <sighs> anyway, I was so out of it Friday night that I tried to super glue something over here, and I got super glue all over my hands, and, and I, it just flowed like water and like an idiot. Um, you know how you go to chew it off, right? You know, it's a normal reaction is to you know, pick it off with your teeth. So I put it up there too soon to start picking, figuring it was already dry. Well, it wasn't. It was still watered the water condition and I glued my lip shut well I glued my lip shut well not fully it was like a about like that so I could talk about like that you know and I went into a break and I ripped my lip apart and a little chunk of lip was in my ashtray and that's how sick I was so out of it that I completely screwed up there lost part of my lip I don't know how long it takes for a lip to heal but uh... I I guess I I hope mine will. Now, um, I have contacted somebody who knows about airplanes because I want to know about airplanes. I want the real scoop on airplanes. Her name is Diana Fairchild and she is in Hawaii and she ought to know because she's had twenty years plus as an airline stew for Pan Am and United Airlines so we're going to ask about that here in a few moments. Ask about why it is that you get sick on an airplane and how you can prevent it. My, my latest scheme, I, I was thinking I was going to wear an ABC mask. You know, one of those things like the Gulf War vets wore. Next time I'm on an airplane. But that caused a riot. Because they'd, well, everybody knows what they'd They'd probably figure you had vials of something with you. But I mean, it's almost to that point. Hacking, coughing, sneezing. I've never been so sick. And and you you might be able to tell. I'm a little bit angry about it. So, um, anyway, we'll talk to Diana Fairchild in Hawaii here in a couple of moments.
0: Now we take you back to the night of February 24th, 1997, on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: Diana Fairchild uh, has been an airline stewardess for a very lo- long time. She is now retired. You know, I'm, I'm sure she couldn't even talk to us if she wasn't retired. Uh, otherwise, she'd be fearing for her job. Uh, she has a website, and that website is on our website. as a link right now. So if you want to know more about what you're about to hear about, go on up there and link over to uh, uh, Diana's uh, website. It's Healthy Flying. Well, actually, it's not Healthy Flying. Uh, let's see, what is the uh, actual name of her web- website? Well, we'll get to that. Uh, anyway, look, get up there. The Washington Post wrote an article about the whole Courtney Brown affair. It was in Sunday's Washington Post. You can link over to that and read the article in the Washington Post. It is Healthy Flying. I was right about that. So uh, be sure you check out the Washington Post article on Courtney Brown. That's on the uh, on the webpage right now. Uh, Emily um, Lau, who's coming on tomorrow night from Hong Kong, her website, all the way from Hong Kong, is available. And um, uh, John Shepard, be sure you look at the Strat photos. He's coming up uh, Wednesday night, Thursday morning. Now, to Hawaii and Diana Fa- uh, Fairchild. Hi, Diana.
2: Hi, Art. Thank you for calling.
1: Oh, thank you for coming on the program. <laughs> I'm still sick uh D- diana i i have been i'm a healthy person diana i don't get colds i don't get the flu um i go a year at a time without getting sick but then i fly and when i fly i absolutely without fail every single time get sick now you work for a uh, pan am yeah pan
2: am and united 21 years total
1: 21 years it's mm-hmm. a long time in an airplane
2: Ten million miles.
1: <laughs> Ten million miles. What routes did you generally fly out as a matter of curiosity?
2: I started flying South America. Actually, my very first trip was to Rio at Carnival, and I thought, this is a great uh, life. Oh, yes. And then I ended up uh, doing a lot of polar flights to London from California. Uh-huh. And then round-the-world flights, round the world east or around the world west, stops in Europe, India, and Asia.
1: Wow, that's Mm -hmm. pretty exotic stuff.
2: Yeah, every eight days.
1: Every eight days. Um, A few idle questions of curiosity before we get to the meat of the matter here. One of them is, how long did it take? I I mean, I've flown to a lot of those capitals myself, Mm -hmm. but when I do it, it's very exotic for a passenger who you know, rarely gets to Europe or Asia. It's very exotic, but you did it all the time. How long does it take for the thrill to wear off. Oh,
2: never, I think.
1: Never? That sounds kind of good to hear. <laughs> I, In other words, you never get, oh no, another trip to London. You never get to that point.
2: The last two years I was flying, I was sick most of the time. So from that point of view, I, I just didn't have a lot of energy and I didn't feel well. So I could oh. say the last two years.
1: Well, that brings us to the meat of the matter. Diana. um, Number one, why are we getting so damn sick on airliners these days? What's going on?
2: It's a very complex situation, and it involves a number of biological and environmental factors. To start with, of course, is the traditional issue of time zone changes. When When we shift time zones, our inner clock is out of sync with the outer clock. So all our hormonal and and chemical rhythms have to change. And that that takes a couple of days to a couple of weeks. And even in my research, I found that even though hormones may start secreting, they don't even reach their amplitude for six months. So it takes a while just for that. But the main thing, Thing that I started focusing on and pointing attention to—it's the environmental stress in the plane itself, which is a place low in air pressure, humidity, and oxygen, and high in radiation, pesticides, and germs. It's low in air pressure. In other words, it actually has the air pressure of a mountain resort. It's 8,000 feet in the plane.
1: Ah, uh-huh, uh-huh. yes, indeed. Okay. Everybody knows uh, your ears pop as you rise to mm-hmm. cruise altitude, whatever it is. It takes a while for you to adjust, so there is a different pressure, and you're saying it's like being uh, at 8,000 feet.
2: Well, people suffer from mountain sickness when they go quickly to 8,000 feet. Oh, so yes. We're, we're dealing with that as well.
1: Well, why can they not keep the cabin pressure at, you know, ground-level norm?
2: The best they can do, the way the planes are designed, is a plane at twenty-five to say forty thousand feet. The best they can do is to pressurize it to eight thousand, seven or eight thousand feet. Actually, it's illegal to pressurize it over eight thousand feet.
3: Huh. But
2: they they can't fly at sea level for one reason. The air is heavier at sea level, so <laughs> they want it lighter, as light as possible. I see. So they always fly at the highest interior ambient altitude that they can.
1: So they take us to 8,000 feet.
2: Right. And so I said the air inside is low in air pressure, humidity, and oxygen. So humidity, the only humidity in an airplane, there's none introduced by the cabin air conditioning. The only humidity is from the takeoff location and the sweat and breath of everybody on the plane. So on a long-range flight, like you were mentioning, I guess, to Hong Kong and... Sure. Those flights, the humidity actually goes down to zero after a couple of hours. And that's way drier than even the Sahara Desert.
1: Oh, listen, I I live here in the desert, and when I have relatives who come and visit, they complain of their nose being very dry. You know, we have generally double-digit or even single-digit during the summer humidity, and we're used to being very dry, but you're right. When I fly on a long-distance flight, I get totally dried out, and I live in the desert.
2: It's drier than the desert, and, and like you, you are um, acclimated, but your friends and relatives come, and they're not acclimated, so it's very shocking, even more shocking to them. So that's another environmental factor that passengers need to consider, and then it's low in oxygen. For example, um, I believe this statistic came out that there's twice as much oxygen mandated in U.S. prisons than they found on U.S. airplanes.
1: You're kidding. What about the pilots? Are they breathing the same air the passengers are? No. They're not?
2: Mm Mm-mm.
1: What are they breathing?
2: They get, I think, ten times more air than an economy passenger.
1: Oh, now, wait a minute. economy... What, what about first class? You mean there's a difference in the air between first class and, uh, and economy?
2: First class gets three times more air than economy.
1: Oh, they do?
2: But but the reason is because there's fewer people breathing the same cubic square feet. That's why.
1: Is it is it part of the same circulation system?
2: As economy, yes. Uh-huh. And for the most part, it's pumped in toward the front of the plane and the outflow valves are toward the back. So I always find the air is fresher the closer I get to the front and it's fresher um, when there's less people around.
1: Well, yeah. Unfortunately, most of the flights, uh, overseas flights, are generally booked. I guess they like to run them that way. (laughs) Um, So there is a good tip. Number one, you're saying the air is better toward the front of the plane.
2: I find it better. I notice that I feel like I can breathe better. And, of course, if you're lucky enough to get the upper deck on a 747, it's even better there.
1: Well, I've never had that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've, I've snuck up a couple of times to see what it's like, and it's very nice, but uh, I've never been able to fly that way myself.
2: <laughs> I've got a page on my website, how to sneak into first class.
1: Uh, how do you... Uh, really? <laughs> how, how do you... Let's hear it.
2: Well, I'm not recommending it, but
1: of course not. Don't try this at home, folks. But
2: <laughs> well, how do it you do just it? just depends on certain flights. I mean, if you board late, yeah, and then you know which seats are available. In other words, if, if any you're empty seats. if
1: you're one of the last per- yes. persons on, but, mm-hmm. the, but but the airplane seems to fill from the front toward the rear. So you're gambling if you can't sneak into first class then you've you've lost out and you're probably going to sit back. Where where is the worst place to sit on an airplane? The Absolute rear?
2: Worst from what point of view? From a crash, from air quality, from, you know, noise, from smell of lavatories, you know, each area. Um. I mean, in a crash, you just never know. You know, they used to say the best place is over the wing, but... It's not so, you know, in that United Decompression out of Honolulu where the fuselage peeled up over the cargo area. It was the people over the wing that died. So you just, it's really not, I know that Bottom Line has an article, the very best place to sit, but it's not true. We can't necessarily Mm. figure it out that there's only one best place. Some people like the aisles, because they say there's more leg room, but the aisles are so narrow that they're constantly getting bumped by carts and people walking by, yeah. you know. Again, people like to sit in the front row, but on a lot of aircraft, they park carts there during the flight.
1: Well, that's not altogether bad. Usually there's little tiny bottles of booze that you can lift, when sh- <laughs> you know, when sh- people like you aren't looking. <laughs>
2: well, anyway, so back to that original statement, low in air pressure, humidity, and oxygen, and high in radiation, pesticides, and germs. So the radiation, actually, crew members, pilots and flight attendants, are now classified as radiation-sensitive workers. Really? And they get more radiation than nuclear power plant workers.
1: Um, and radiation because of the, high, the constant high altitude?
2: Yes, it's from the sun, radiation doubles I think every three thousand feet the exact statistic is in my book and on my website but at uh, high altitudes radiation is very significant
1: has the air on airliners always been bad or is it been worse recently
2: it's worse recently why well the news Reports that it's because the newer planes like the 757 that you flew yes. have less fresh air capacity than the older 747s, for example. And all right. that's only part of the truth.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, we'll get to the rest of the truth in a moment. Uh, Diana Fairchild is my guest, and we're talking about air travel, I guess, generally. And why you get sick so frequently on an airplane, and we're going to find out how to avoid it, too. That one I'm really interested in.
0: You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997. Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 24, 1997.
1: Well, you've got to know that anybody will tell you how you can sneak into first class is going to give you the straight stuff. That's Diana Fairchild, and she's in Kauai, on Kauai, the island of in Hawaii, was a uh, airline stew for 20-plus years for Pan Am and United. We'll get back to her in a moment.
0: take you back to the night of February 24th, 1997 on Art Bell, Somewhere in Time.
1: right, back now to Diana Fairchild. Diana, um, just before we uh, return to where we were, I was thinking about sneaking into first class. Now, (laughs) If you're back in the in in the um, uh, the economy section, and the airplane uh, gets underway and actually gets into the air, can you casually sort of just wander forward into you know they draw a curtain in the first class. It's what I remember is a curtain is drawn. Can you go through that curtain and sort of just sort of casually look around, find an empty seat, and plop down?
2: It's possible on some of those very, very long flights where the crew gets breaks. Oh. But, you know, and then a lot of people are sleeping, too, depends on the time of departure. Like if you're on that, for example, L.A. Sydney flight that leaves at midnight, everybody pretty much goes to sleep right away. Right. The thing is, though, the flight attendants have a... Passenger manifest list of names of all the
1: first class passengers. Diane, I'm kind of losing your audio here for some reason.
2: The flight is this better?
1: Oh, that's better. Yes, thank you.
2: Thank you. The flight attendants have a list of names of first class passengers, which they usually try to use when taking orders for breakfast and things, you know, for the meals.
1: Uh huh. So that's
2: a time when you could get caught.
1: And if you got busted. Uh... What 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 could they do uh, other than send you back with the masses?
2: Well, it's best not to argue, but, you know, because there's that FAA rule about interfering with the duties of a flight attendant. I think the best thing is to cop an insanity plea.
1: I'm sorry, I didn't know where I was. It's a lack of oxygen. <laughs> <laughs> that
2: would be perfect.
1: All right, somebody just sent me a fax, and it says the air recirculation is a fuel-saving measure. The air conditioning system bleeds energy from the engines, turn it down, and the company makes more dollars. It's that simple, is it? Yes. It is. You mean to say... You mean to say this is done to save fuel money?
2: It saves about $80 an hour on a jumbo jet.
1: $80 an hour.
2: So on your 757, they probably save. Well, I think the, the the total load of a seven fifty seven is one hundred and eighty eight passengers.
3: Yes. And the
2: to- total load of a seven forty seven is about five hundred. So,
1: right.
2: W- whatever the math would be, thirty dollars or something.
1: Oh, that's outrageous! Um, if how, how much are they turning off generally? Uh, typically, um, in other words. How, how much of the filtration system, or the air conditioning system, is is off?
2: Each plane has a different type of system. It's not uniform in all the fleets. Even the Boeings, for example, have hmm. different systems than the other types of aircraft. But on the Boeing 747, there's three air packs, and so these are connected to the air to three of the engines. So the way it works is the engines have two functions. One is to fly the plane, and the other is to take outside unbreathable air, which is too thin, and pack it. That's why it's called air pack. Pack it, compress it, and pump it into the cabin as fresh air. So basically what they do is they turn off one right after takeoff. I think they need all three for takeoff because it's part of the engine, and then they turn off one when they get to uh, a certain altitude but but I was talking to a flight attendant friend this evening and a lot of times they're, I remember too they're just not working they're not re- required for takeoff clearance you know certain things you can't take off if, unless they're working and this is not something that is required to work
1: alright um, how can we force them Or can we force them? I mean, things have certainly changed with the airlines. I I, I remember when we flew back in the days of your early um, um, uh, job, why we got decent meals, uh, we got all kinds of extras, all the peanuts you wanted, uh, blah, blah, blah. And now you're lucky to get uh, an indigestible uh, slab of turkey, which I hate anyway, or or something else. In other words, cost-cutting measures... Uh, have really come into play in the last few years. Uh, and I, and so how do we force them to do something about the air? And I really mean that. I'm, I'm angry about this.
2: Well, I have two things that I'm suggesting to people in my book, Get Smart. And the first one is because all of the airplanes have different, ways of providing air, like I just described the 747 to you. It's totally different to the 757. They have recirculation fans that are on that need to be turned off. So, you know, you can't say turn it on or turn it off. What you can ask for is full utilization of air. That's what we used to ask for. That is the airline term that means that whatever fresh air capacity that plane has, they're going to use that capacity
1: alright suppose I'm on an airplane and and I buzz you and you you come over and smile at me and ask how you can help and I say I would like full utilization of this aircraft's air system what, right. what do you well, do then do you go and call the pilot
2: well the first thing is not to bring the call button for that because the flight attendants are totally overworked and and exhausted themselves because they're breathing that same air So the best would be if she happens to be passing your seat or if you get up and, you know, go back where she's setting up or doing something and say, could you ask the pilot for full utilization of air, please? You know, have understanding when you ask and realize the flight attendants are suffering even more than the passengers because they're working, you know, so aerobically. So then the flight attendant will probably call the pilot or tell the purser the chief flight attendant the purser may be wanting the only one to be to be the only one to talk to the pilot but in any case most probably the pilots will know pretty quickly that somebody asked for full utilization of air and then you can notice if the air conditioning gets louder and you start feeling better one of the symptoms of hypoxia, which is lack of oxygen to the brain, is that you can't think clearly, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned the other night with the glue, you know, and you really can't think clearly when you don't have enough oxygen in your brain, so you'll notice that you're hypoxic if, if you're reading that same paragraph, you know, for 20 minutes or something, but you just don't get beyond it in that magazine or can't figure out something across your puzzle
1: well you're probably in that condition if you're even really enjoying the airline magazine that's there at all <laughs> <laughs> uh, no anyway um i, I don't really I, i'm just angry I'm, I'm very angry i
2: understand i am too I, I, I got sick i got very very sick and it changed my whole life you know i've never been the same
1: um we'll, we'll certainly get to that in a moment uh I was so angry that I swore for a while I was going to wear... You remember Desert Desert Storm? You remember the ABC masks they had? Uh, (laughs) Those chemical masks? I'm serious. I'm serious. I was going to get one. I was going to go on my next long trip in one of those... Now, if I got on an aircraft in a mask like that, what
2: would happen? Nothing. You could actually ask for an oxygen bottle, and that's my second strategy. If you notice that the air conditioning hasn't changed, that you don't start feeling better and that the air conditioning isn't louder. Then the next time you see the flight attendant, you just say, you know, I'm feeling very sick and I would like some oxygen. And they have uh, portable bottles. For example, on a um, 747, they've got 17 bottles. Really? Really? And on a 757, let me see, I got that figure for you yesterday and wrote it down. Oh, they've got four on a 757.
1: No kidding. I've never seen anybody ask or get one.
2: Right. Well, I hope that people will start asking because they'll feel better. I used to sip pure oxygen when I was flying, especially those last two years when I didn't feel well most of the time. And it makes a tremendous difference in your health on board and after landing. And Mm -hmm. it's a little expensive for the airlines, so at some point, a lot of people start asking, they'll turn on the air in the first place.
1: That's right. Do they they have to provide that to you without extra charge?
2: Yes. If you don't feel well in the plane, it's free. (laughs) Ah. If you ask for it before takeoff in anticipation of not feeling well, then you need a note from your doctor, and you pay between $50 and $80 a bottle.
1: Ah, but if you do it once you're airborne, too right. late, and they've got to just do it. Right. Uh huh. And so, if a lot of people begin doing that, ask, yes. oh, I've got you.
2: That's our little revolution.
1: A <laughs> um, yeah, little revolution. I'd be like, That's a good revolution. Boy, these are some good, good, good ideas. Um, Thank you. If the airline were to hear, if you were still employed, Mm-hmm. Saying the things you're saying now. Mhm. Um, what w- would you be suddenly out of work?
2: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> seems like it, huh?
1: It seems like it. <laughs> I, I can imagine you would be. Yes. Uh, do you now that you are retired? Do mm-hmm. you still fly?
2: Yes, a little bit. And one of the tips I'm giving, you know, regards the um, contagious disease. Yes. Uh, issue in the plane. Uh, it's a big problem, tuberculosis and oh yes, flu and things that you're suffering from. It's always frightening, I think, when somebody right behind you is coughing.
1: Well, that's just where I was going. Inevitably, I'm on a plane and either behind me, usually behind me, or even in front of me, somebody is coughing, sneezing, snotting, absolutely, totally sick. It's obvious. Why is it uh, diana that um, airlines don't station somebody at some point screening passengers who are obviously sick
2: cuz they're not thinking about healthy flying they're thinking about getting us you know getting a takeoff p- slot and all pro- the other
1: profitable things. profitable flying <laughs>
2: yeah right <laughs> exactly
1: but yep. but i mean doesn't it doesn't it make some sense that if somebody is obviously sick, that the airline could say, uh, sir or ma'am, uh, we're, we're going to require that you, you, you see a physician or something before boarding or, you know, something like that.
2: Even the Centers for Disease Control requested that people with tuberculosis, TB, not take long flights. But nobody's monitoring it, and nobody even said what a long flight is.
1: Well, I was even thinking of the flu. I mean the flu some... is
2: even worse. Yeah. So what I'm suggesting I found out from a doctor that covering your nose and mouth cuts down the transmission of viruses and germs over ninety percent. So what I like to do when I travel is wear a handkerchief over my nose and mouth. You can wear a western outfit art and wear a scarf and just pull it up during the flight or you can get that charcoal mask
3: and (laughs) just put it
2: on in flight and then the other thing I'm suggesting a daring optional suggestion is that you have in your bag a couple of little painter's masks and if someone is coughing you present it to them possibly saying gee I'm sure you would like to not you know get everybody else on the plane sick why don't you wear this if you've ever been to Tokyo, you know you've you've seen how people are so considerate that way.
1: Absolutely true. Uh, I I don't know how much of it is consideration and how much of it is fear. I, I a, lot, a lot of Japanese I think who are not sick wear those masks, and you see them all over Tokyo, uh, in order not to get sick.
2: Oh, I never thought of that. That's probably true.
1: Oh, it 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 is, and you see them all over Japan. The Japanese are. Uh, Uh, very, very uh, aware of that, and we are not. Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So, basically, my whole philosophy in JetSmart, which has 200 tips of this kind, is that the airlines are thinking a different way and we need to take care of ourselves. We need to take charge. So, what I like to do is present all the environmental stressors to the reader, and they can See all the different things that are going on—the um, the pesticides, the ozone, the diesel fumes, the viruses, electromagnetic pulses, radiation, toxic chemicals, tobacco smoke—is still. I went to Hong Kong recently, all the way to Tokyo and all the way to Hong Kong with smoking flights, and really, yeah.
1: Um, I'm now see. I'm a smoker, and I've been looking for smoking flights, <laughs> and I can't find any more of them. Uh, they still exist, then. Is that true?
2: <laughs> Just call United.
1: <laughs> uh, United has smoking
2: flights? Yeah, that was on United um, to Tokyo and to Hong Kong. and
1: oh, believe, I believe a
2: lot of the South American sectors are still smoking, and some places in Europe, I think.
1: Well, now, here's a funny thing I heard. Now, maybe you can confirm or deny this, but that on smoking flights, uh-huh. strangely you have less of a chance of getting sick than on non-smoking flights. And the reason uh, given by the person who told me this was that they've got to turn on so much extra filtration because of the smoking.
2: Yeah, that's a nice ideal. I mean, the National Academy of Science published a report that said they've got to turn on full utilization of air when there's a full load. And they don't.
1: And they don't. Mm-mm.
2: As you know, most of the flights are all full everywhere now because they have these really great last-minute deals and things like that. So I understand there's quite a few of them available on the Internet. I don't know which um, pages. I think American Airlines started it. And you could just sort of log on the last, you know, 48 hours and pick up really cheap tickets. And so the planes are all full, really and yet the air isn't necessarily full utilization. And people think, you know, it's the pilots that are turning down the air.
1: Well, it is a pilot's prerogative, isn't it?
2: Kind of. I mean, it's a management dictum, and the pilots follow it.
1: Are the pilots rated on air? how much fuel they save and use, and in other words, is there motivation from the company for the pilots uh, to save every bit of fuel they can?
2: You're so smart, Art.
1: No, I'm not. I'm just asking. <laughs>
2: Even some of the airlines pay bonuses.
1: Bonuses?
2: Mm-hmm. Bonuses?
1: <laughs> to Financial save?
2: bonuses to save fuel. <sighs>
1: Um, why don't the
2: captain? Only the captain.
1: Why don't we only the captain? Huh? <laughs> why Why don't we have an advocate? I mean, you're obviously that, mm-hmm. but a high level advocate who represents passengers' uh, 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 rights. We gotta have rights when we fly. Some rights uh, to healthy air for beginners.
2: Right. Well, that's what I'm trying to do because no one else is doing it. And it's a very, very complex situation, and I don't think anyone who has not been an insider for the length of time that I was, and also I was just happened to be personally very curious. I'm um, kind of a health nut, you know, since a long time. Vegetarian since the '60s, and Mm. interested in um, spirituality and subtle energy and all of these kinds of things. So I was just somehow wanting to learn all about this while I was flying.
1: Um, you mentioned that you got sick. And that's yes. a, it sounds like you said you were, during the last couple of years, very sick. Yes. Uh, with flu or something worse or what?
2: Well, I understand you're going into depth a lot about Gulf War Syndrome. Yes. Yes. And in my opinion, what happened to me is the same disease as Gulf War Syndrome. It's called multiple chemical sensitivity. Mm. And, it's, and my doctor says it's the very, very similar symptoms of Gulf War Syndrome.
1: Environmentally um,
4: induced... Right,
2: environmental illness.
4: Uh. And,
2: and the direct cause of it was pesticides in New Zealand and Australia... I don't know if you know this, but in a number of countries in the world, they actually spray pesticide on passengers.
1: What? No, I didn't know that. When uh, I bet. When do they do that?
2: They have it all different ways. Like sometimes the flight attendant has to spray it about 30 minutes before touchdown atop a descent, and sometimes...
1: You mean you it, look, come, it comes through the air? Um,
2: the, n- no, they walk down the aisle with these canisters of pesticides. uh And they spray between the overhead bin and the passenger's head, so it just rains down on you like a pesticide shower.
1: Oh, wonderful. Um, Diana, hold tight. We're at the top of the hour. We'll be back to you, and we're going to open up the lines. Let the audience ask questions, all right? Okay, great. All right, Diana, hold tight. Diana Fairchild, Jet Smart is her book. I'm Art Bell.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February twenty fourth, 1997. Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 24th, 1997.
1: From the island of Kauai, my guest is Diana Fairchild. She was a stew for, uh, uh, stewardess for uh, United Airlines and Pan Am for over 20 years. We're talking about uh, flying and getting sick on airplanes and airplanes in general. And I've got a captain here who has written an angry little fax... About Diana, and we'll get to that uh, in a moment and bring her back on and get your questions about flying and sickness and why the airlines are saving money at the expense of our health and what we should do about it, says a still-recovering
5: Art Bell.
0: Now we take you back to the night of February 24th, 1997. On Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: Back to the island of Kauai. Um, And uh, and Diana Fairchild. Uh, uh, Diana, I'm going to read you a fax here. And uh, let's see how you respond to it, all right?
6: (laughs) Okay.
1: All right. It says, Art, this lady is full of... Well, C-R-A-P, crap. A pack is pressurized air conditioning kit. The fans reference take outside air from the right pack and does not save money. Air is required to completely change in an airline cabin every seven minutes. The reason the air is thinner, at jet altitudes of 33,000 feet, the cabin is at 8,000 feet, just like a sea level drive to Denver. The filter is air going out the outflow valve. Pilots have no way to filter air. Diana has problems with reality. Signed, Jim, and he gives the last name, Captain, 26 years. Mm -hmm. What what do you say to that?
2: Well, people should look on the Internet at my page called Full Utilization of Air because uh, the number of captains have written in and said there's no such switch, there's no such thing. And um, I've answered them, you know, from the Boeing Manual and the National Academy of Science Press, and this kind of thing is going on all the time, and even what I found on the Internet was a report from a aero medical physician in England who who works uh, for a number of airlines, and it was a report, and I link it on my site on this page, all right. where... Uh, it was about hearing hearing loss among pilots, and it it just said in an offhand way that the pilots find the air conditioning so noisy that just for that reason they're turning it off.
1: One more and, l- one more little thing, Diana. I have a friend uh, who works for United, who because he is not yet retired has to remain nameless, but mm-hmm. he's a good friend of mine. I talked to him a few minutes ago. He said, "Ask her about." Humidity. Now, you already said the passengers um, suffer, um, at some point on long flights, zero humidity Mm -hmm. levels. Mm -hmm. Uh, He said, ask her what the pilots have, humidity-wise. They
2: have the same.
1: They have the same?
2: Yeah.
1: He indicated he thought they had a humidifier up there.
2: Well, actually, you know, on some aircraft, they may have certain humidifiers humidifiers, particularly the newer ones, when um, it finally came out where the airlines were admitting that the pilots had different air than the passengers, because when I discovered that actually, when the no smoking went into effect yes. on, um, on U.S. flights, in a little aside in a report, it said uh, pilots who smoke are still allowed to smoke, but passengers shouldn't worry because they have separate air. Wait a minute, wait wait, a- wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. Wait a minute. Wait just a moment. Did you just say that pilots who smoke on non-smoking flights are allowed to smoke? Is that what I heard you say?
2: Mm Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: That's an outrage.
2: Anyway, that's how I found out. That's an outrage. That they had separate air. I always suspected it because it felt so different in the cockpit. When I was really sick those last two years, I was so sensitive that... If I did find myself in the cockpit, it was so much easier to breathe. So, So but anyway, wait um, a
1: minute. You mean to tell me that while I'm sitting back there in economy, mm -hmm. uh, with my hand twitching, going through nicotine withdrawal on a seven-hour flight to Europe, that the pilot up there is smoking away?
2: If he's if he's a smoker,
1: unbelievable, unbelievable.
2: But anyway, when finally the airline admitted that. The pilots had separate air because they were really denying it at first. And even pilots would come up to me and say, "No, no, it's not true." And I said, "I know it's true." But anyway, when they finally admitted it, they said, "Oh, the pilot air is different because of the instruments in the cockpit, not because of the pilot.
1: Because <laughs> the
2: delicate instruments.
1: And the delicate instruments.
2: So there may be some of the newer aircraft may be having some. Humidity in there for the instrument.
1: I see. All right. A lot of people want to talk to you, so let's get some of them on the air. First time caller line, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild uh, on the island of Kauai. Hello. Uh,
7: Good evening, Art. Uh, My name is Chris uh, from Carmichael, California.
1: Hi there, Chris.
7: I have a question in regards to, um, you were talking about cabin pressure altitude. Yes. Um, I was wondering if if there's any uh, federal regulations for MAX flights. Uh, military flights for passengers.
1: Do In we, other words, a uh, 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 different pressure allowed?
7: Right. Are there different pressures allowed? Uh, do you know, Diana? or
2: No, I think you'd need to ask a military pilot.
7: Hmm. Because you, you said that it was 8,000 feet? Uh, Yeah,
2: commercial aircraft are regulated that the cabin interior pressure cannot go over eight thousand feet.
1: And I would presume, caller, uh, that when there were, uh, uh, for example, um, I I flew uh, military, but um, it was uh, you know a chartered uh, commercial aircraft. So I I would imagine commercial standards would prevail on Mac aircraft, as she points out. You'd have to ask a uh, a Mac pilot.
2: Right. Yeah, I did a lot of Mac flying, actually. the uh, end of the Vietnam War, we used to take exactly. the R&R trip.
7: You know? oh, well, I'm an Army brat, and we spent some time in Europe, and uh, uh, my mother, my brother, and I came back on a C-5, mm-hmm. and uh, my brother, when we got back, had serious ear problems.
2: Oh, and, and I that's see. why.
7: that's why I question it.
2: Oh, I see. Well, ear problems, you know, um, pilots tell me that when you're flying and you have a history of ear problems or... You have a cold, that it would be good to notify them that they may be compressurized more delicately than, than, you know, manually instead of automatically.
1: Well, the other thing I said earlier that I, I want to stress again is it seems to me that the airlines, you, you know, I, I hate to be the enforcer of regulation because there's so much regulation already, but somebody ought to screen passengers who are sick. And keep them off flights. Offer them a later flight. Offer them some other alternative. But if they're sneezing, coughing, hacking, if they've got the flu or something more serious, for God's sakes, keep them off airplanes and save the rest of us. Uh, Or is that a violation of somebody's civil rights?
2: You know, I have a little story, Art, uh, about this. I was um, on a New Zealand flight one night, which I think is about eight hours from Honolulu, where I was based. And about four or five hours into the flight, I had a severe sore throat just come on me. And I know you mentioned earlier that you had a seven days before, did you say seven days before you came down? with? Seven um,
1: days, yes.
2: But, uh, and that's, a you know, a, a normal incubation time, what they say, from being in a toxic, you know, a germ-filled environment. But this was just right in flight. I had a very severe sore throat, and I happened to be working the upper deck, so it was sort of a, like a little area where you get to know everybody, and within minutes that I felt this sore throat, three passengers said to me, out of a total of 16, I have a sore throat, I have a sore throat, I have a sore throat. Oh, that's scary. Scary. Yeah, I I ran up to the cockpit, and I said, there's something wrong. Four of us, you know, out of this small area are sick, and uh, I don't know about the rest of the plane, and the captain said to me, actually, we have a very sick child on board, and we normally don't carry people who are so sick but we were personally petitioned and they asked the captain for permission and he said okay.
1: Uh Oh my. I I guess um maybe there's too much prerogative for a captain in the in that category after all captains are good at flying airplanes but they're not physicians. That's right. <laughs>
2: and what? ultimately it's up to us to t- to know that all of these things exist, and then what we can do to take care of ourselves.
1: Well, I like the oxygen bottle idea. We'll get back to that. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild on uh, Kauai. Hello.
7: Yeah, uh, actually, my comment is about the oxygen bottle.
1: All right, where are you, sir?
7: I'm in uh, Florida.
1: Florida, okay.
7: Uh, well, um, this is kind of a freak thing that happened to me. I was uh, flying from New Orleans to Miami, and... Um, I don't even know what happened. I, I couldn't breathe, and my mind sort of went blank. And something told me to to, to do something, like, immediately about what was happening. Sure. I got up. And I, I saw a serious and started to walk towards her, and that's the last thing I remember.
3: Oh, man. Anyway,
7: you, I came to, there was a passenger next to me. I had an oxygen mask on me with a bottle. And the passenger next to me rummaging through a first aid kit. He... Get the needle out Says this is going to hurt.
2: Oh, my God.
7: <laughs> I found out that um, I was having a severe reaction to something on the point. My lungs had shut down and my heart was in the process of shutting down. Oh, my. And it gave me an adrenaline shot to get my heart working. Uh, there was no one else. It just happened to be a doctor on the point. No, there was stewardesses did not know how to deal with this situation.
2: Right.
1: Oh, that, that there! Uh, you, what an incredible story. Um, so I take it you recovered.
7: Well, I was fine as soon as I had oxygen and, and adrenaline. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> oxygen and yeah, adrenaline.
7: Yeah, I was bouncing off the walls after an adrenaline shot. Uh,
1: were there any other passengers with similar? Uh... No, I was the only one. You were the only one. Only one. Um,
7: but here's the thing. First of all, I the, the the guy told me after the flight that that they had uh, they were radioing to get the plane turned around to land it. And he told me that they never would have landed the plane before I was dead if hadn't, he, he hadn't been on that flight.
1: Mm-hmm. Yikes. Uh, in, in your years of flying, uh, Diana, did you ever have uh, heart attacks, people in uh, acute distress, uh, other than the situation you just described?
2: It's actually quite common, you know, that, pe- that people get very, very ill.
1: Quite common?
2: Yes. I mean, you know, every month you'll get. A couple of things, serious things happening.
1: Well, uh, how well are stewardesses trained if there is not a doctor on board? Um, to, to I
2: think they're pretty well trained, but the thing is, you know, with all the cutbacks in the airline industry, you're just so busy. I mean, I was reading, I um, was reading a just yesterday a story about a man who tried to commit suicide. Did you read that one? He no. Cut his- he cut his throat in the first-class bathroom with a, with a little penknife, knife. Ugh. And um, this is, I guess the first suicide like that in a plane. And, and it said that the flight attendant, you know, just found him because he was in for a long time. And I thought to myself, well, she's really aware that she would have the time to, to remember who went in and when because you've seen, everybody's seen how much the flight attendants are running around.
1: Uh, yeah, they're all, they're very, very busy, and uh, even more so on relatively short flights. For example, when you fly, fly from Los Angeles to uh, Las Vegas, it's about a one-hour flight, and uh, they barely have time to get the cart up and down uh, and throw a sack of peanuts at you and whatever, and then you're on the way down again. So they're really flying on those flights. Uh, I notice on the long-haul flights, they, they do have some periods where they can sit, and uh, you see the stews sit down and rest occasionally.
2: Those are, you know, mandated rests on duty days of over 14 hours. Ah. Uh-huh. You know, when you're, but you, you report to the airport two hours before takeoff, of course, and and you don't get off immediately. You've got customs and everything. And so when you're on duty, you know, 14, double digits, you know, 12, 13, 14, 16, 18 hours, you're on duty. You, you have to have a break. No one could stand up that long.
1: What are the statistics regarding stewardesses? I won't ask about pilots because they have the rare air, apparently. But stewardesses um, getting sick. There must be... Somebody must keep statistics.
2: No, nobody's really taking care of this right now. OSHA doesn't watch out. The FAA seems to neglect flight attendants. And in my opinion, the union seems to be focusing on other things, so nobody's really watching out. I mean, I get contacted all the time by one stewardess recently contacted me. She got TB. And she knows she got it on the plane, but she can't prove it, can't get any compensation. And and there's um, a report recently out of Finland of uh, breast and bone marrow cancer among flight attendants, which is, I uh, think, double or triple the normal population.
1: Attributed to what, do you think?
2: Radiation. Radiation and all the other things that are going on.
1: Remember folks, airplanes are at a very high altitude, uh, particularly on the long flights, and they're subject to a great deal more radiation, uh background radiation than uh, we are on the ground with all right. this wonderful protection of the atmosphere. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild. Hi.
7: Well, good morning. Uh this Hello. is Steve. I'm calling from Knoxville, Tennessee. Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah, I just want to ask Diana um do you happen to know if there's ever been an instance where uh, a person has successfully sued uh, an airline because perhaps they have uh, had some sort of a medical problem brought on by the, the poor air quality in the plane? And the reason I ask is obviously because of the recent uh, uh, death of Art Bale. Thank you.
3: <laughs> yeah,
7: that's well, right. makes-
2: I tried to get workers' comp benefits, and the Hawaii court seems to prefer, you know, the aloha spirit to human rights. And I've been nine years trying to get my work comp benefits and just had the latest action from the Hawaii Supreme Court where they totally um, dismissed me.
1: On what basis?
2: They didn't give a basis. They just wrote a memorandum decision. So they they first accepted to hear it and then they kept it over two years, and then they denied a hearing. They wouldn't give me a hearing, and they wouldn't give me a decision.
1: That's incredible. So- it is
2: incredible, and I'm um, about to post all this information on my website about the legal things because my attorney wants to take it to the U.S. Supreme Court, but you can't really get heard by them unless you have a national interest, and that's why I am really appreciate it. To, art, to, for the uh, opportunity sure. to, to tell your listeners that um, I'm trying to get heard, you know.
1: Alright, well you're being heard, believe me. Now she wrote a book, uh, Diana's uh, authored a book called Jet Smart. In it there are all kinds of tips, uh, like the ones you heard in the in the first hour. Uh, the practical things like how to sneak into first class. Uh, practical things like how not to get sick on an airliner. Um, and I guess all kinds of tips on airliners, where can they get your book?
2: They can call one eight hundred five two four eight four seven seven, 524 8477 and they'll have, if they mention Art Bell, they can have a significant discount. It's normally $15 with postage. It would be $10 for anybody that says Art Bell in the next 48 hours. You're
1: kidding. <laughs> Boy, they cooked that one up fast one eight hundred five two four eight four seven seven. if you mention my name, ha, 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 ha. Uh, a recent survivor of a near-air disaster, um, then you get $5 off, huh?
2: Mm-hmm. Or they can go into their local bookstore, nor- uh, Borders and Barnes and & Noble, and a pay lot f- of bookstores are stocking it.
1: And, and they'll pay full price. Yes.
2: <laughs> but they won't have to pay shipping, but then if they get it with the 800 number, they'll get an autograph copy. Oh, they will? hmm
1: Well, that makes it a kind of a hard choice. <laughs> um, n- not at all, really. Uh, all right, uh, Diana, hold on. We'll be back to you and do 30 more minutes, all right?
2: Okay, S- thank
0: you. Stay
1: right there. Diana Fairchild is my guest. She was a stew for over 20 years. Now she's telling all. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997. To Art Bell's somewhere in time, on Premier Radio Networks tonight, an encore presentation of Costa Coast AM from February 24th, 1997.
1: Wait till you hear about the call I just got. I wouldn't go on the air, but I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase what he said as best I can. Another captain, and uh, I'll tell you all about it in a moment.
0: listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997.
1: All right, an airline's due for over 20 years for uh, Pan Am and uh, United, Here once again is Diana Fairchild. Diana, I I, I just had a call from a pilot, another pilot, but he wouldn't come on the air. I'll tell you what he said. He said, boy, is she a dingbat. She's a complainer. I've dealt with stews like her for years and years and years and years. They're all the same, he said. I said, well, come on on the air. You would say that right to her face. Oh, no, I don't want to go in the air. Uh, And I said, come on. You're going to say it. Say it to her. He wouldn't, but he said he said almost every stew he knows is just like you what do you say to that
2: well it's interesting because i've met a lot of really nice people on the internet and one of them is a pilot that helps me figure things out sometimes when i don't know cockpit things but he wants to remain anonymous naturally and so i got a letter from one pilot kind of like that what did he call me i forget anyway I posted it on the Internet. I can read you what I wrote. In spite of the angry tone of your letter to me, I've decided to answer you. I took the liberty of forwarding your letter to another commercial airline pilot. Here's his reply. Mind you, some of my best friends are Delta guys. Still, there are some. Every company has them who should have stayed in the military. If he isn't simply having a bad day, Tom might be one of these. A kinder, gentler, gentler soul would have pointed out. And then he goes into how everything I'm saying is true—that the air circulation and blah, blah, blah—and um, where the switches are. And you know, he—he he just re- said he backs me up. So I—I I, I don't know what to say. I'm—I'm I'm sorry that the man um, feels the p- captain feels that way. Um,
1: well, uh, what does he carry? Sitting up there with good air, smoking a cigarette when he wants to. <laughs> I'm, I can't get over that part. Uh, here's here's somebody who wrote, um, I have flown to Lagos, Nigeria, twi- yes. twice in the last two years. Both times, without notification, I was sprayed upon arrival. Yes. You're know, you talking about pesticide spraying? Yes. They do that, huh? Yes. <laughs> All right, uh, first time caller line. you're on the air with Diana Fairchild.
5: Uh, good evening. How are you doing all right? Well, I'm all right. Hi Diana. I Hi. have a question. Um, uh, it seems like every time I get on a plane, I, my my main problem is the methane problem. and it seems like every time I get off a plane I have severe brain damage. It would seem if I could get proof of this, I could see the living bowel puke out of those airlines. is that do you agree with that? And I got another quick question.
1: Meth, methane? Uh, methane as a problem, uh, Diana?
2: I don't know about methane. I, I know that there's a lot of toxic chemicals. Uh, in particular, there's um, chemicals from fuel exhaust and off gassing of uh, cabin furnishings and things like that. But not methane? I don't know. Okay. I, All right. I have, I, I, re- I... I have a report in my files uh, that's. That somebody, it's on the Internet, and somebody um, showed me where it was, and I downloaded it. I don't have it in front of me, but it names all the gases and chemicals and things that were found in the air.
1: All right. Um, I was on, uh, recently, uh, going to Mexico, 757. I, I got really lucky or unlucky, I guess, uh, Diana, and I was just, you know, looking into the back of the engine. Yeah, you know, that's where I was sitting, right, a, a window mm-hmm. seat, I literally looking in the back of the engine, And I almost choked to death um, before we took off on the smell of kerosene. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was really strong. Really, really strong. Jet
2: fuel smell.
1: Jet fuel smell, yeah. Kerosene, I presume they use kerosene for jet (laughs) fuel, whatever it is. Yeah. A very, very strong smell. Now, it began to go away a little bit as we got to cruising altitude, but, oh, man, it was truly strong.
2: Well, it comes from two reasons. You were sitting... You know, behind the engine. That's one of the reasons I don't like to sit in back of the plane. But also, the diesel trucks on the runway and the plane in front of you in the takeoff queue, and um, all of those things are funneled right back into the cabin air supply.
1: Oh, that's right. All those right.
2: toxic chemicals.
1: That's right, because you're uh, you're literally in the uh, in the wash of the last uh, plane that took off, aren't you?
2: Yes, you're in a queue, usually. Oh,
1: I never thought about that.
2: But also the diesel trucks as they go by. um, You know, the baggage trucks and the commissary trucks and things like that.
1: Sure. No, but this was clearly the smell of uh, jet fuel.
2: Of your own engine.
1: Yeah, absolutely, yes. absolutely. Um.
2: And b- a lot of them now, a lot of the airlines, you see, before, they used to have really prepare the cabin, you know, have the auxiliary power unit, the ground air conditioning on for hours before passengers would load. And now that's another cutback where they just kind of put it on at the last minute. So the plane really isn't all that fresh when you get on. And then they don't use all the air conditioning because they're using all the engine power for takeoff. So during that time, from the time that the plane disengages the umbilical of the air conditioning, the auxiliary power unit, which is usually either a private truck or inside the terminal itself in the newer airport, from once it disengages from that until you're up in the air, there's really not much fresh air.
1: Mm-hmm. Wild Card Line, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild hello. on uh, Kauai. Yeah, hello.
8: Yes, this is uh, Charlotte. And Hi, uh, she answered most of the question that was on my mind. All
1: right, where are you? But huh? Also,
8: I have one other question. All right,
1: where where, where are you located?
8: In California, California, Northern okay. California, right. around San Francisco. Okay. Now um, I have a question about uh, the pilots and their ability to put um, the air traffic control on the headset when you are in a two seven three seven or five seven. And is it really their choice to put it on? And I requested from a flight attendant I would want to hear on-air traffic between San Fran and Chicago, and between Chicago and San Fran. And I understand with United, because um, the uh, cabin attendants are not part of the union, that there can be a little bit of animosity between the cabin attendants and the pilot.
1: Boy, I'm sure hearing a lot of it tonight, <laughs> believe me.
2: Uh, well, there is, you know, there is animosity from day one.
1: There, r- really?
2: Yeah.
1: I would Every- think you'd, you'd <laughs> all be part of a team. I mean, I, I always heard that you, you, you folks ended up on the laps of pilots and stuff. Not true, huh?
2: Once the 747 <laughs> came in and in the early 70s, that was the end of that. But before that, when we had the smaller plane, we were a little bit closer.
1: So when the bigger planes came along, there was sort of a separation.
2: No separation, longer. Um economically, separation, altitude-wise, separation, benefits, everything. They started staying in different hotels. They started really? flying different kinds of routes.
1: And you guys didn't even date anymore? Uh,
2: not anymore. Not well, much, well, well, no.
1: Well, all right. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild. Hello.
2: Hi. Hi. Uh, yes,
1: I have a question. I take frequent uh, trips to Spain now and then, and I play guitar,
7: and I have a, a, a problem taking, getting the, play, uh, the guitar on in the bag, in, in with me, you know, as carry-on. And uh, I've had guitars destroyed in the ba- in the baggage department. Do you have any suggestions on how I could
1: get it on with me? Where are you, sir? Minneapolis. Minneapolis, all right. So, um, yeah, uh, good question.
2: I think every kind of special handling, whether you're carrying a guitar or you need a vegetarian meal or you're exceptionally tall or you're a wide body, every type of special handling, needs just to take a little extra time and try and have a rapport with somebody at the airline, whether you try and make friends with the person you're making a reservation with or or when you finally get to the airport and you try and, you know, really connect with the person who's checking you in. I mean, they're so busy looking at the computer, often they hardly even have time to look up, but if there's some way to connect with these people... and I personally feel that just a small little gift, I'm always giving my book out and it's just such a little thing, but people appreciate it so much and it's just a little thing, you know, you could give somebody for a favor, you know, not a bribe kind of thing, but just a little thing, a scarf or, I don't know, just have travel with a few little things and and just say, you know, I have this special need and I don't know where the best seat for me is on board, but... You know, my guitar has been broken. I'm a professional player. I I have to have it there. Can you please help me and figure out how to do this, you know?
1: The human touch, in other words. Yes. All right. Um, one more. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Diana Fairchild. Where are you, please?
2: Hi, this
7: is Daryl in San Clemente. Hi, Daryl. How are you doing? Um, hi, Diana. Hi, uh, Daryl. Uh, thanks for being here. Uh, it's about Thank time like I got on this thing. Um, okay. I'm, I'm calling about, uh, actually, it's something that happened to my girlfriend. She flew back east over the winter to see her family. And uh, on the flight back uh, from Chicago, uh, they had sprayed the plane with a de-icing agent. And they yes. said, you'll notice a little bit of smell for a while, uh, but it'll go away. And it never did. It was overpowering. Mm-hmm. And not only when they boarded, but for well, well, well into the flight.
2: Mm-hmm. And
7: not only her, but her and her son both were really, they were bedridden for three days. Yes. They're, you know, throat swelled up, they yes. could hardly breathe.
2: Yeah, I heard that recently, actually. I was reading about that deicing icing and that it's a very toxic chemical in the cabin.
7: Really? Yeah, and it was, it was bad uh, yes. for a long time. And Michael, back to that caller who had an allergic reaction, maybe that's what, uh, what happened to him. Yes. Well,
1: you know what I think? I think that your idea, now, now listen to me, everybody. Every aircraft has at least a minimum of four oxygen bottles on board. And after you're airborne, mm-hmm. if you don't like the air, Diana says you can request one of these oxygen bottles, and after you're airborne, they can't charge you extra for it. And they've got to give it to you. Mm-hmm. And as a protest, if you don't like the air, if they don't fix the air and, and turn on everything they've got to, to provide clean air, ask for an oxygen bottle as a protest.
2: You have to be sick.
1: Well, you, you can look say, sick. You, oh, you have
2: to say that you're sick. Oh,
1: I'm don't feeling sick. You don't feel well. I don't like, like. the air. Right.
2: <laughs> It's more like you just... I'm feeling so sick. May I have some oxygen, please?
1: And they've, they've got to provide it.
2: They should, yes.
1: And if enough people do that, maybe they'll do something about the damn air.
2: It's got to change the tide.
1: Uh, something does, because I, I really... I'm I'm more upset about this than you can know.
2: <laughs> I uh, have a consumer activist coalition called Fair Air.
1: Fair <laughs> Air? Yeah. Really?
2: And I'm fighting for this, and, you know, anybody that wants to get in and, and help, that would be great.
1: Uh, how do they help? How do they get to be part? Well, of it? we
2: can have $25, which would include, you know, newsletter and information and also opportunities to travel with me. I sometimes travel with people who are on their fear of flying graduation trips. Ah. And then anybody who's joined Fair Air can join us.
1: Hey, Diana, did you ever crash in an aircraft? No. Never crashed. Mm-mm. So it's not worth spending a lot of time worrying about, really, is it? Or, or, or yeah. is it?
2: No, I don't think so. I think, you know, we just really need to inform ourselves and then decide that we're going to take care of ourselves.
1: All right, here, come, here comes a totally off-the-wall question. Mm-hmm. But again, I know people on the inside uh, of, of some big aircraft companies. And um, so this is really off-the-wall, Diana. Have you ever heard of ghosts on aircraft?
2: No.
1: Never. There there are a couple of famous cases of um spirits uh of of um a crash uh crew, a crew that have died in in crashes that have uh visited aircraft. I just thought I would ask.
3: Oh, that's
1: interesting. I used to the Rockies. You're on the air with Diana Fairchild. Where are you, please?
5: I'm in Houston, Art. Hi. Uh I don't want to give you my name. I'm an airline captain. Oh, here we go. Uh I've sent you a number of faxes today about various things with airlines. Uh, the reason that we have different air in the cockpit is because if there's a problem in the passenger cabin, yes. uh, they want us to be able to fly the airplane, even if everyone else is incapacitated. It's oh, a federal cool. air regulation.
1: Yeah, but what about the complaint that as a normal course of events, people in the back are nearly incapacitated?
5: Well, I, you know, i I think that you want your pilots not to be incapacitated first and foremost. Well, I don't argue that. they got to get the airplane down if there's I mean, a problem.
1: Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But I mean, when you talk about the quality of cabin air for passengers, um, I've been doing a lot of flying captain lately. And, uh, y- y- w- what's your attitude about what Diana is saying?
5: I think that she's, she's, uh, pretty close to target on a lot of what she's saying. There are minor technical inaccuracies, but, but not of a substantive nature. Uh, the, uh, the recycling of the air is, is really not a good thing. Uh, in actuality, the cabin air is supposed to be different from the cockpit air, but on the newer generation airplanes, uh, the aircraft probably don't meet the letter of the law in that the, the pilots do get the same air or a portion of the same air that's been recycled as the passengers. Uh, at the particular airline that I work for, we've had a no-smoking policy in the in the cockpit now for about ten years, uh, and our pilots don't smoke. And, and in some cases, uh, the passengers are smoking in the back, and the pilots don't smoke.
1: Captain, uh, do you get a bonus if you save fuel?
5: We used to years ago, but uh, that went away when uh, when our management changed about, uh, oh, what, five or six years ago. Hmm. But, you know, now... Uh,
1: you can't smoke up there in the cockpit.
5: No, no, not at all. And that's, you know, it, it's because it's such a closed-in area. Is that is that all
1: airlines or just yours?
5: It's just ours. I see. I, I mean, it's it's up to each individual airline. The unions uh, get together, the guys in the union, and have a vote, and they uh, they talk to their management and arrange it. That's what we did at ours.
1: So then, more airlines and not, not uh, do allow the, the 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 pilot to smoke if he's a smoker.
2: Most pilots don't
1: smoke anymore. Well, go ahead,
2: Diana. Oh, um, I I remember that at some point, if one of the pilots, the first officer or the captain, goes to the lavatory, the other one has to automatically go on oxygen. Is that at 14,000 or 10,000?
5: It's at 25,000 feet or above.
2: 25,000, I see outside altitude. Outside
5: altitude, that's correct. It doesn't
2: matter about the interior altitude.
5: Right. Now... Another thing that you were talking about, Art, was getting sick uh, a lot. Of, I've written the FAA about uh, the radiation problem uh, that, I, that Diana has mentioned. Uh, the radiation starts at about ten thousand feet. You're getting high energy neutrons down to about ten thousand feet. I've carried I carried a Geiger counter for years uh, really? to show people on on my airplane, the crew members, what was happening. And at about eighteen thousand feet, the Geiger counter comes off you know, real low level, just clicking every now and then. And by the time you're up to 28,000 feet, it's really popping along. And by the time you're at 35,000 feet, it's pegged. Really? Yes, sir.
1: So in other words, if you spend years and years in the air, millions of miles, as Diana has, or as I'm sure you have, right, you really have been irradiated with a serious amount of uh, radiation.
5: Well, the, uh, the uh, FAA or the uh actually the nuclear regulatory commission changed the uh terms that are used it used to be uh, millirem's is what they used as a standard for uh radiation measurements i think they changed it to, to millisieverts hmm. but as a unit of measuring but what happened is it confused everybody as to what the levels of radiation that they were getting and it used to be when you received above 500 millirem's a year uh Then you were categorized as uh, an occupational radiation hazard worker. Interestingly enough, the FAA has admitted that the average airline pilot and passenger gets about six-tenths of a millirem an hour. So if you fly a 1,000 hours, the math is pretty simple. You're getting 600 millirems uh, a year.
1: Is anybody doing uh, any studying on statistics of uh, various cancers for people who professionally fly?
5: I don't know. I kind of doubt it. the airlines really don't want the information to get out because they're afraid they're going to scare the passengers away. The FAA has had the dual mission of, of promoting airline travel and enforcing the regulations, so they really haven't wanted to do anything about it. Uh, there was a study that was out about eight or ten years ago that where they were. Uh, uh, it was a notice of proposed rulemaking at the FAA. I was one of the four people uh, in the country that, that responded to it at, because of the. Uh, my studies with the geiger counter
1: all right captain we are woefully short of time so i'm going to have to end it there um uh, diana uh, you have been a great pleasure to have on the air Uh, i thank you and i hope everybody out there will take uh buy your book number one which is what jet smart
2: jet smart yeah
1: jet smart and hundreds of tips in there on where to sit how to avoid getting sick and all the rest of it uh diana do me a favor send me a copy of your book
2: oh absolutely all right
1: (laughs) <laughs> and, and for everybody else, if you want, it's 1-800-524-8477. If you call that number, you'll get an autographed copy.
2: That's right. Autographed, discounted
1: copy. Uh, discount. That's right. Ten bucks instead of uh, 15. one 524 8477 And her website is available through mine right now at www.artbell.com. So go take a look at her website. Get her book. Diana, thank you.
2: It's a pleasure, All right, Thank you very
1: much. And take care in beautiful Kauai.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Nice place to retire. That's Diana Fairchild, 20-plus uh, years with the airlines. And now you know why you get sick when you fly. I'm still not over the Captain, There, smoke a cigarette. I can't believe it.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997 i bell somewhere in time tonight featuring a replay of coast to coast am from february 24th 1997
1: hey 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 you're about to get an update on mel's hole we'll tell you all about that moment
0: now we take you back to the night of february 24th 1997 on art bell somewhere in time
1: I received the following facts last week. Dear Art, I'm writing to you to see if I can get some help from you or your vast listening audience. I live in rural eastern Washington near the Manastash Ridge. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly now. On our property, there is a hole. Like the previous owners and the owners before them, we've been throwing our trash into the hole. Apparently, The hole has been there as long as anyone can remember. At first, I thought it was an ancient well. Anyway, the hole is nine feet, nine inches in diameter. There is a stone retaining wall around it, and we've put a steel door on top to keep anyone from falling into it. As I said earlier, people have been throwing their trash into the well, that's in quotes here, for decades. Furniture, household trash, dead cows, building debris, you name it. The thing is, I noticed the hole never filled up, so I got curious, actually obsessed, began trying to measure the depth of the hole. I emptied three fishing reels of about 1,500 yards of monofilament trying to determine the depth. Soon I was buying fishing line in bulk. So far, I've sunk about 80,000 feet of line into the hole without reaching bottom. My wife works at a local university with a geology department. We hope to get some professional scholarly help in determining the depth of the hole, as far as I can tell. There's nothing else particularly strange about it except for two other things. Dogs refuse to get within 100 feet of the hole. Birds won't sit on the retaining wall or metal door. Another strange thing is there's no echo when you yell into the hole. Indeed, I've never heard anything hit bottom when tossed in. We once tossed in an old refrigerator, and we never heard it hit bottom, no crash, splash, or crunch. I hope your listeners can help with possible explanations. I'm wondering if this, based on my measurements thus far, might be the deepest hole on Earth. Signed, Mel Waters. Well, you know me. I get a fax like this, and I jump right on it. So I called Mel in the middle of the night. We put him on the air. Last hour of the show, last week. And we got the story of Mel's Hole. But now, Mel's Hole, part two. I get the following facts earlier today, Art. You're receiving this fact simultaneously with the facts I attempted to send you earlier today. Much has developed since the first facts. I'll try to explain as rationally as possible what has transpired since my earlier facts. Around 1 p.m., I drove to Yakima to shop at the Costco there. On my way back, I decided to stop at the property. When I got there, my access road was blocked by military personnel that were armed. I noticed that several pieces of yellow gear had entered and exited my property based on the direction of their thread. I asked one of the guards what's going on. He said there was a plane crash on the property. I said, well, that's strange. I told him there's no smoke. I don't see any in the distance. He asked who I was, and I let him know I own the property. I then asked to talk to the officer in charge. A non-uniformed man came up to my suburban and let me know that I won't have access to my property until the crash has been completely investigated. I mentioned the yellow gear and the lack of smoke and that they were on my property. I was told by this man that it's not necessarily my property and that it would be very easy to find a drug lab on my property Well, I got the drift I asked if I could leave he said sure don't come back until we contact you I asked if he wanted a way to contact me he said they know how to contact me I said I suppose you don't want me to talk to anybody about this he said nobody would believe it anyway that's about it for now oh I talked to one of my neighbors earlier today And he told me something very interesting. He said that some time ago he was driving up to the hole at night and thought he saw the most bizarre thing. He said he saw a beam of solid black coming out of the then uncovered hole. I said, what do you mean? He said he saw something blacker than black coming out of the hole like a searchlight reaching into the sky as far as he could see. So there you have it. There, there actually is more here is uh, from the state of Washington uh, here's
5: Mel Mel hello art Bell and listeners
1: hi um, you when, when when I got this second fax from you I called you up and you were totally totally
5: freaked out oh my god I was I'll tell you I was I, I, <laughs> I, I feel a lot better now let me tell you but
1: uh, yeah you were you were uh, just a pile of nerves when I talked to you now w- w- what Explain again. You you went up to your property. You were going to examine the hole because we were talking about. It. I'm sure you yeah. had interest. So, and they stopped you there, huh?
5: Yeah. Well, I uh, originally uh, my uh, ap- after the show on Friday night, I went out there and uh, uh, in the evening and uh, noticed uh, there were some some helicopter activity around the property. Um uh, there was further helicopter activity the next day. Uh and so I figured that uh clearly uh, somebody out there listens to your program. Oh yes. And uh I think
1: uh I'm really sorry I brought this on for you. i d I didn't it certainly wasn't intentional. I uh
5: Well, uh you know, uh, when we talked yesterday, uh, you felt that uh Probably the best thing to do is to uh, be public in this matter. That's right. uh,
1: Your best uh, protection is to be public, Mel.
5: Well, anyway, so there was was a lot of activity around there. And, you know, I've had some thoughts about this. And if they knew where the hole was, uh, I would imagine that they could take some readings of the depth of the hole from, like, satellites.
1: I don't know about that. I, I, I'm i sure they have a way to measure it from ground. I'm not sure about satellites.
5: Well, we, we did have a lot of hovering up there in the air, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so uh, uh, we we did have that situation. Um,
1: and they stopped you, right? In other words, there was a barrier there?
5: Well, there was on... Uh, I'll tell you, I'm getting a little confused about the days. I, I guess it's now Tuesday morning.
1: Yeah, that's right.
5: But uh, uh, since... What they had originally there was a barrier. Not a barrier, but just armed armed uh, soldiers, basically.
1: Armed soldiers.
5: Armed soldiers. Uh, since then, they have erected some um, further down the road. I mean, you can't even... I, I mean, basically, there's the road, there's the access road, and then finally kind of meander into the property. Okay. They now have Jersey barriers at the road. What are those? Uh, Jersey barriers. Those are... Uh, they're kind of like big chunks of concrete.
1: That, oh, uh, like like the bomb barriers they have at the White House. Uh, more
5: or less, so you could you could squeeze maybe one one vehicle through there, but it's uh you know definitely being controlled over there.
1: Now, this is your property, right? You've this got is, the deed to this property. This is
5: well, mine in the banks.
1: Well, you you in the bank, you know, we all in the same situation. Um, um so so they won't let you on your own property and they're claiming there was a plane that crashed Yeah,
5: uh, th- That was the thing. And I said, Well, where's the smoke? I've seen plane crashes before. There's there's got to be smoke." And uh you know, again, I had talked I asked to talk to the officer in charge there, and uh, I figured, you know, one of these military types that come up, and I don't know, maybe he was just dressed in civilian clothes because of, you know, the nature of what happened there. But,
1: yeah.
5: uh, you, know, uh, you know, he told me that I won't be able to go out there until the uh, accident's been investigated, yeah. and I was insistent about my property rights, and he seemed to indicate that uh, this might not necessarily be my property in regards to the drug lab, so... Uh, um, but the problem is I do have <laughs> Talk lab. A, i do have a sort of a lab on the property, but oh if, no
1: no, wait a minute Ooh, yep. you have a sort of lab what kind of lab
5: well i um uh, I, I work uh, or working in the alternative health field here and then on on the property and that's one of the reasons and this can all come out now i inv- imported some um plant life from northern nevada they were Native American plants that the Indians use there for uh, uh, treatment of various illnesses, mostly cold and flu. Yeah. Anyway, so we, uh, because of the nature of the uh, uh, the climate, and it's very similar to Northern Nevada, we thought we would cultivate these plants and then use it as a cure. It's a very effective cure. It's, found, uh, it's not a narcotic, is it? No, it's not narcotics. Well, not then what music. the hell are
1: they talking about drug lamp?
5: Well, there is a lab there though. I mean, and uh Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, but there's no there's no you're not cranking out
1: crank or methamphetamine or anything. If,
5: yeah, but if they had for instance if they found like it was a drug lab, they could seize my property.
1: So, it was their way of telling you, yeah. listen brother, stay away, let us do what we're doing or you know, we might find a drug lab here, and then it wouldn't exactly. be your property anymore and you might even be in jail.
5: Mhm mhm-, yeah, so they were clearly letting me know, and my feeling was that they were in control so uh, what we got
1: him. we got some kind of national security hole now, or is it what?
5: well i'm um, <coughs> excuse me I, I i assume by now they've made a lot of determinations about it, and it sounds like it's something they want today on my uh my answering machine, I had a message from my real estate agent, oh, and he says that uh, he had uh Someone who is very interesting and interested, rather, in purchasing my property, and uh, would make me a very generous offer. Now I haven't gotten back to them, but uh, I think we can put two and two together here. Somebody wants to get their hands on my property.
1: So what are you going to do, Mel? Are you going to accept the quote generous offer, and uh, and get out of this with your skin intact and a few bucks, or are you going to you're
5: going to fight? Well that's a good question that's one of the reasons why I didn't get back to my uh, my agent today you know is that I wanted to sit down and think about it before I did anything I don't know what their so-called very generous offer is but on one side you have a possible drug lab and on the other side you have a very generous offer and so I would kind of be curious to know what their generous offer was
1: well that's the carrot stick approach no question about it
5: yeah they're, they're, they're working the both ends here I think and uh, I'm uh yeah, you know, like I say, I, I feel a lot, a lot calmer about this now than I did before. It was, it was. Now that, you
1: were almost panicked, weren't you? Uh,
5: yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, it, uh, it, it was, it was just a little bit too much.
1: All right, you, you did some measurements. People were asking yeah. about, people were asking about the weight of the line that you were putting into the into the hole. <laughs> and so, what have you determined?
5: Yeah, I, I did, I did some uh, real, real quick and dirty work here with this here. First of all, uh, uh, when I was out there. On the weekend, I was able to actually measure or, or weigh the line that's in the hole, and basically, I tied it onto one of these little uh, uh, fisherman's scales. Okay, and, all right. Uh, you know, it's it's, it's a little spring-operated thing there. But I, I had a weight on that, including the uh, uh, the one-pound sinker on there. It looks like it weighs about uh, 17, 18 pounds. What what does uh, the line that's in the hole uh, in totality? Yeah. The entire the tire weighted line. Basically, the line weighs 10 ounces for every hundred, every thousand yards.
1: Okay, so 17 or 18 pounds. Yeah, it's 20 pound test line, right? Mm-hmm. And you have got one pound down at the end of it, tied on the end of it, right? That's
5: right. So, so you're... one of the things is it's it's and and this has become a moot point at this point. But it, uh, if I drop much more line down there, and based on what your caller said, this this line will break <laughs> at. Uh, Probably at the top of the line because that's where all the pressure will be. So, but you believe
1: the, you're down eighty
5: thousand feet? Yeah, yeah, w- without a doubt. Eighty thousand eight, feet. Eight with uh, what is that? Four zeros on
1: there. Well, miles, 5,280 feet, so miles, five thousand
5: two hundred eighty feet. Yeah, you can out uh, so, someone's. I, I believe I haven't done done the map map on there. I always forget how long a mile is. But uh, um, how long have you owned this property with a hole? We've had the property for about four years now, and. Uh, you know, the, the guy that had it there had, had been there for a long time. I believe he'd been there for over 40 years, Uh it's, it's 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 very rustic. I think I might have indicated to you we we do not have electricity there. We do not have phone service. No, made. it's just raw property, right? Uh, well, we we have our we have some buildings and the housing structures. All of those were uh, basically damaged with the uh, the heavy snowfall. We all had. right,
1: Mel, that's right. Recent yep. snowfall. Mel, hold on. We'll be back sure. after after the uh, bottom of the hour. All right? Yep. Stay right there.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks tonight. An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997.
5: went down to Georgia. He was looking for a soul to steal. He was in a bind because he was way behind and he was willing to make a deal. When he came across this young man sewing on a fiddle and playing it hot, and the devil jumped up on a hickory stump and said, Boy, let me tell you what. I guess you didn't know it, but I'm a fiddle player too. And if you'd care to take a dare, I'll make a
6: bet with you. Now you play pretty good fiddle, boy, but give the devil his due. I bet a fiddle of gold against your soul, cause I think I'm better than you. The boy said, My name's Johnny,
1: and it might be a sin, but I'll take your bet you're gonna regret, cause I'm the best as ever been. Johnny rising up your bow and play your fiddle hard. Cause hell's broke loose in
7: Georgia and the devil deals with hearts. And if you win, you get this shiny fiddle
3: made of gold. But if you lose the devil gets your soul.
2: Up his case, and he said, I'll start this show. And fire flew from his fingertips as he rolled up his bow. And he pulled the
1: bow across the strings, and it made an evil hiss. Then a band of demons.
3: She's got better days, she'll turn the music on you. You won't have to think twice. She's pure as New York snow i got better day besides. If she tees you, she'll you. Be just to please you. She's precocious, and she knows...
0: Premier Radio Networks presents Art Bell, Somewhere in Time. Tonight's program originally aired February 24th. 1997.
1: Good evening, everybody. Good morning, actually. Morning, I believe, just about everywhere, but Hawaii, perhaps, and out in the Pacific, as uh, as the darkness races across.
0: Now we take you back to the night of February 24th, 1997, on Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: You have got to get up to my website. You have got to get there. They wrote a big article on uh, that appeared in Sunday's Washington Post about the entire Courtney Brown affair. If you go to my website, you can read that article in the Washington Post. That's right, Sunday's Washington Post. Big article about this program and about the Courtney Brown affair. Uh, in addition, the harp listening frequencies are up there. In addition... Uh, My guest tomorrow night coming, Emily Lau. We're going to be calling Hong Kong and interviewing Emily Lau, who is a legislator in Hong Kong. The information up there um, on that is available. John Shepard's Strat photographs are up there. Wait till you see those. Whatever you do, don't miss John Shepard's Strat photographs. uh, The equipment he's put together to try and entice uh, visitors from elsewhere, and he's been transmitting for years and years and years. And wait till you see what this guy has put together. It's unbelievable. All that and more up on the website right now, www.artbell.com. www.artbell.com. Now, back to Mel. And, Mel, um, a lot of this audience would not have heard, but there was another little bit of the legend of the hole. Um, Apparently, at at some point, somebody threw a dead dog into the hole, right? Right.
5: Oh, yeah, I was telling you about that before, the other night. And, uh, yeah, that people put throw everything in there. There's dead cows going down the hole. There's, you know, sheep, whatever. You name it, it's gone down there. One guy uh, threw his old hunting dog down into the hole, I guess, as a form of burial. And uh, the story that I heard was that the guy, the hunter, was out there hunting one day, and he saw his old departed dog. It looked exactly the same. In fact, it was wearing the same collar. And the same uh, tags on it. So he was absolutely, the, the story is, they were like, absolutely believe the dog came back somehow.
1: And you believed it to the degree that you changed your will so that when you die, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, they were going to throw your body into the hole, right?
5: When, when I'm gone, I'm going to the hole.
1: Oh, well, but
5: maybe not now, huh? Well, that's, that's a matter for conjecture. I, uh, today, I, I, I didn't have a chance to mention this. I, uh, uh, you know after after finding out you know the story about the, the black beam you know I uh, the other night, day I, I, I thought I'd go out there and do some more research amongst the, my, my neighbors who you know may have
1: uh, that makes sense you can't go on the property might as well talk to the yeah, neighbors yeah,
5: yeah. sure and so you know i you out and buy him a cup of coffee and find out a few things here anyway I had uh, talked to one gentleman who's uh, really quite elderly and has lived in the uh, area for a long time but he said that originally, and this is going way back, so this must go back about 40, 50, maybe longer, that there was a series of, around the hole, there was a series of stone columns. I said, stone columns? Stone
1: uh, stone columns? Yeah.
5: And so I asked him, you know, could he, like, you know, you know, I sketched out a little how the property looks there and see if he could place the uh, stone columns on it. Yeah. So, you know, he drew it on the napkin there, and I said, that's very interesting. I had my my, uh, power book with me, and I uh, pulled up a picture of Stonehenge. That's exactly what the thing looked like. You're kidding. He he said that they had these, like, pillars lined up, you know, just like that. He said it wasn't, you know, it didn't have that thing on the top, you know. They had some, like, things on top of the pillars Stonehenge.
1: Oh, that's really odd.
5: (laughs) Listen, the, the,
1: you can't get photographs, Mel. I'm sorry to interrupt, but uh, I asked you about photographs. They won't right. let you close enough to take any photographs.
5: Uh, I, was, I was afraid to take pictures of the guards, to be honest with you. No, I, 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 understand. I understand.
1: How about a drawing, Mel? Can you get us a drawing?
5: Uh, yeah, I could, I could do that. Uh, and, and, uh, I, I, had a, I had a question for you. you, you uh, the night that I talked to you, you said you got another fax about an, another anomalous hole. That's right, Col- Colville area.
1: Oh, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. I've got that fact. Um, and and I'll try and get to it.
5: But okay. Uh, uh, on Sunday, I listened to your show a bit, and uh, you had Linda Linda on talking about Harp.
1: That's right, Project Harp.
5: Now now Harp is supposed to look for
1: underground bunkers under-traps. and tunnels and such. Yes. That's right. Now uh, maybe it's looking at your hole. Who knows? Here here's a fact for you. The following is a theory regarding Mel's property. One imagine two naturally occurring iron veins just happening to reach toward the earth's surface around uh... help me pronounce it manastash
5: manastash
1: uh... washington there is a tremendous amount of naturally generated high voltage electricity deep in the earth what if the bottom of the hole on mel's property is a naturally occurring focal point a lot like the device that mr markham built the earth could have its own in effect time machine over the centuries through various quakes and so forth all of the soil above the portal would have fallen into the bottom and been launched into some other time. This explains a lack of echoes in the apparent depth of the hole. Tell Mel to lower a clock
5: down there. <coughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. well, well, let me tell you, I was uh, over at the university library today, and, and I wanted to find out a little bit more about Earth geology. Uh, and one of the things I found out is the crust, on average, on the Earth, is about 20 miles deep.
3: Okay.
5: Now, underneath the crust, and this is something that a lot of people don't know about, there's something known as the MOHO discontinuity. The, the what? The MOHO, M-O-H-O, discontinuity. What is that? It's named for a guy named uh, Mohorovic. He was a, a Croatian uh, seismologist. But I don't know much about seismology, but I'll tell you what I know about this discontinuity. P-waves, and I guess those are seismic waves... Yeah. through this discontinuity move faster than they do through the rest of the earth they like speed up okay normally they go like seven kilometers per second these are going like eight kilometers per second when they go through there and it's believed that it has to do with a chemical chemical difference in the type in in that area of the earth so you've got the crust you have the uh, moho discontinuity then you have the mantle and so that region is very very little known, as you can well imagine, because you really can't get to it, uh, at least not yet, (laughs) and um, uh, they really, the the scientists really don't understand that, but we have this thing that goes on underneath the crust that is very, very peculiar, and uh, I just thought I might mention that.
1: All right, Uh, well, I don't know anything about that, that's very Mm -hmm. interesting, all I know is we had all kinds of cool plans, I mean... We were gonna I I had Mel I'm telling you I've got volunteers who are willing to go down in your hole but now now that's obviously not going to occur uh, because they have your hole I mean this is outrageous this is your property
5: yeah it is my property that's 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 the uh, the, the incredible thing I could not step one inch onto my property you know it, it, my, my deepest um, incursion only got me onto the access road. I mean, I still got. I mean, I I mean, I was kept way away from that thing there.
1: How far is it from the access road where you were stopped to the hole?
5: Oh gosh, you'd have to travel. Oh gosh, I would say it's from the access road. Kind of, it's very hilly ground over there, so you kind of have to go around all the low spots there. You might go about a mile and a half or more. You can't even see uh the little like valley that i'm in
1: before you began dropping this monofilament line into the hole with a weight uh you threw an entire refrigerator down, yeah. down this hole and then listened and listened and listened and never heard a thing
5: nothing nothing I, you know, I mean again you know the the refrigerator i didn't hear anything i mean i expected you know i mean something that massive you know, and that 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 uh, you know, I expected something, but I you know, I've thrown things there that I knew would make interesting sounds, like television tubes, picture tubes.
1: Yeah, they explode.
5: Yeah, those, those are my favorite. And uh, no, I, I couldn't get an implosion, explosion, or anything out of them. So I have not heard anything actually touch bottom in that thing. Um,
1: I mean, that's it's almost impossible. It seems. Um,
5: I. I uh, you know, I mean, if, if the hole right now, I don't know, is 15, 16, 17 miles, you know, how long would it take for the sound to travel back, you know, if it, it is hitting bottom? Let's say it's hitting bottom at, say, 15 miles. Uh, you know, how long would it take? Or would I hear it at all? You know, th- those are things, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, those. I
1: don't are- think so. I mean, you don't hear things that occur. F- well, on the other hand, though, it's a channeled.
5: It sure is. <laughs>
1: I, I don't know the physics involved in such a deep hole. Have Have you ever heard of any other holes? Uh,
5: no. Uh, you know, that's why I was curious about the uh, Colville hole. I, I did find out that actually the deepest mine is like 2.3 miles into the earth.
1: So this is way, way beyond anything that uh, anybody's ever heard yeah, about. Yeah,
5: but that, that's a mine. That's, you know, that's a, a mine structure. Another thing I was curious about was that channel... That they built underneath the English Channel between oh, yes, yes, England yes, yes. and France. How deep yes. is not not how deep it is, but how long is it? You know, is it is it several miles or? Uh,
1: I I almost uh, rode on it. It's funny you should mention. I almost rode on it last time I was uh, uh, in uh, in London, um, but but I didn't. So I I don't exactly know. I saw the entrance to it. <laughs> I rode right by the entrance to it. Uh, I, I would be
5: leery of going into that thing.
1: Well, then you certainly wouldn't want to go in. Would you go in this hole?
5: Your uh, hole if you could. I anticipate what will be going down into a hole in the future will be federal prisoners i I imagine who <laughs> will be going down there on a non voluntary basis I assume because uh, uh, i mean the you know if if we're talking the government here, which it is obviously the government that's been interested in this, they have every piece of technology they could ever want they could send out cameras they could send out whatever they wanted you know so you know I assume at some point if they determined. That was safe for a human being to go down. They'll send a, a person down. You know, when they take air readings, if it's got good air, bad air, you know, find out what's going on. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd say that that you know they, they would do that. You know, I, I, again, I'm you know just like a, you know, poor ordinary little guy here who doesn't have a lot of technology as back. Well, how
1: would you like to get a whole bunch of citizens together, Mel? And yeah. and go marching on that property and challenge their authority to uh to take your property like that.
5: Well, we we talked we talked about that over coffee with the, the guy that told me uh, about the, the stones out there, you know, saying, you know, I mean, you know, we're we're pretty what's uh we're big on property rights here. Yeah,
1: I mean, this is your hole, not theirs.
5: And and uh, you know, we're I mean, you know, very very militant about that. And they say, you know, how how can they do that here? Uh the, you know, the truth is, you know, if they say a plane crashed on property,
1: yeah,
5: and, and I, I, you know, I don't have any evidence of that, but I mean, you know, I expect to see some smoke. But uh, you know, uh, if they're telling people this is a, an accident scene, we got to investigation, You know, FAA and all that business there. and, and right, yeah. did
1: they tell you what kind of airplane, civilian, no. military, or what? No, no. No. All right. Um well are there any reports I mean you, after all you can check on plane crashes oh, right?
5: You, well for well first first of all over here if a kid kid throws a snowball at your car yeah. a later time then makes mm-hmm. the newspaper. <laughs> I mean, so...
1: So there I mean, should have been big news if a plane went down oh, there. I,
5: you, oh, you bet. I mean, we've had planes go down here before. I mean, we've had planes go down, you know, on the other side of the mountains and make newspaper here. I mean, you know, that's a big deal here. All right,
1: well, look, look, then instead of a, a crowd of civilians, maybe that was a bad idea, how about a crowd of media? I mean, I could get Seattle media by your side and mm-hmm. go marching right up to that, that that
5: group. Right up to the barrier. Yeah, and then then I end up being a convicted <laughs> drug drug cooker. Uh, I am, you know, that that's that's you know, I.
1: They actually said that to you. That those
5: those were the exact. Those were almost verbatim the exact words they said. Uh, you know, you know, you know, we could find a uh, drug lab on this property if you get my drift. Uh, you know, oh just
1: very easily. All right. Uh, Mel, let's take a few calls, see if anybody has any ideas. I, this one has me stumped. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Uh, Hello there.
9: E- yes. Uh, <clears throat> this is Robert in Milwaukee.
1: Hi, Robert.
7: Hello. Uh, I uh, just, uh, just had a thought uh, connecting uh, Stephen Greer at C-SETI, uh with what he said on concerning interplanetary travel and uh, drew, drew a connection to the cloning. Uh, I find it very interesting that the scientists say they're not going to consider cloning humans.
1: Oh, baloney. That's, that's a bunch of crap. You know, don't listen to that. I, I, uh, excuse me for a second, Mel. On the subject of cloning, you know, all day I've been li- listening to this drivel uh, from the scientists of, um, about the cloning thing, that we're not going to do it. Oh, well, yes, uh, this technology will allow cloning, but we're not going to do it. That is utter garbage, and when we get around to talking about cloning, which we will, uh, we're going to talk about it in an entirely different vein, because unless you are naive beyond belief, spending your time talking about whether we should or shouldn't, will or won't, is baloney, because we will. I guess you can say, should we? But we will, I guarantee we're going to clone. Anyway, uh, that is not tonight's subject, or the moment's subject. Uh, Mel's Hole is, first time Caller line, you're on the air.
4: Hey, Mel.
7: Yeah, hi there. Hi there.
1: Where are you, sir?
7: I'm in. Uh, I'm in Oregon. My name is Pete. All right, Pete. Okay. Uh, Where in Oregon so, are you? Uh, in Corvallis.
5: Corvallis. Okay, I know what that is. Sure. Okay. Yeah, I was listening to the show, and I. Uh, I guess it's uh, a delayed broadcast out here. I was listening to uh, a earlier, earlier stuff. No, no, this
1: is about Mel's hole hmm Go ahead, sir.
7: And, uh, yeah, I, was, I would just say to Mel that uh, you need to get in contact with uh, just about every media person that you can think of. and,
1: uh, and Well, get he, out there. he's done that with me, and I agree with you. I just said to Mel that he should take, you know, like an army of cameras out there. But yeah, exactly, he's afraid exactly. that he's going to end up in jail.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, he's got a point. Well, I mean, I so, think, uh, suppose the army of cameras with Mel and tow arrive, and they and there's feds there saying, "Sorry, this is a crime scene." Uh, oh, are you? Is this is this a, a Mel Waters? Well, you're under arrest, Mel.
5: Well, I I I, I have I have to tell you that uh, um, as far as I you know what I believe is now that the uh, the, the surface of the hole there has been you know there's a lot of snow on the property. It's been covered up with snow.
1: Hmm. I think
5: that's what the yellow gear was there for, just to you know groom it all, so you can't see it from there.
7: Well, I and, think there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And itself. two, if the military's out there, if there was a plane crash, I think uh, uh, the media would want to know uh, what kind of
5: plane it was, uh, who was flying it. I will Well, you see, yeah. the thing is, I'm the one that's saying that there was a plane crash.
1: Today. Yeah, Mel, I'll tell you something. Um, and for what it's worth, if it was a civilian airplane that crashed, that would be in the news. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was a regular military airplane that crashed, that would be in the news. But there are some type of aircraft that crash, Mel, That it, believe me, it does not make the news. We have them out here. They crash and you see the military cordon off miles of area and there's no news about it at all. You know, there's secret aircraft that fly and crash. But I don't think that's what happened there and neither do you. Do you? No,
5: I, I don't, I don't believe that anything crashed there because I, I didn't have, I mean, I didn't have the smell of the smoke. I didn't see any smoke. It was a beautiful, uh, uh, beautiful clear day. I mean, if there was any, any, and it wasn't particularly windy, if there was. There was a crash to be evidence of, to be smoke, clots,
1: to be. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I would be very cautious, Mel, about accepting a generous offer for the property with the hole, because you know what? No matter what else, Mel, your hole is worth millions of dollars if it's what you say it is. If it's as deep as you say it is, man, you could you could fence a property and sell tickets.
5: Well, I, I, I think I also mentioned that they actually moved onto the property several mobile, one of those like temporary buildings.
1: Oh! Moved
5: that onto the property oh really mm-hmm. yeah one of the neighbors says he saw a, like almost like a parade of these things going out there like three four of them uh, plus some generator equipment there oh too my God. How all long, that stuff How
1: long after the broadcast did this parade begin
5: well um, it was it was uh, Saturday night I was out there pretty pretty late um, and but- we
1: did we did the broadcast between I think three and four o'clock Pacific time Saturday morning.
5: Yeah, so I, I you know, I I got some, you know, got some sleep, you know, and I went out there, you know, in the evening and did my uh uh weighing of the uh uh the line in the hole, and that's when I saw the first helicopter out there. And uh that was a very strange experience. Uh you know, I I actually looked up at this thing here for about 20 minutes, you know. <laughs> um there were more helicopters out there Saturday morning early. Uh several of them coming in and out. Uh that was Saturday morning. Uh, that was Sunday morning, uh, and then by uh, today, uh, you know, uh, the chronology is getting getting real confusing for me. But
1: now, uh, yesterday, I guess, really,
5: yeah, yeah, That, that I, I, I lost a day in here, right? Uh, but uh, yeah, what they what they saw is actually some uh, mobile buildings being moved onto the property. Uh, apparently, some generators. They're going to have no power. Or phone on the property. There, you know, we use cell phone if we need to make a call, and we used to use solar out there to. Uh,
1: well, I feel in a way guilty, Mel, um, but uh, your original facts got me going, well, and there was no way not to follow up on that. And I guess once we aired that, it was too late. It was a done deal.
5: Well, well, you, you know, when you when you uh, when when I originally approached approached this thing here, you know, what I wanted to do was to you know get some good ideas about the, the nature of this thing here. I, I guess I was pretty naive about it. Uh,
1: All right, you know, Mel, one thing I've got to ask you. Yeah. Um, don't think me rude, but no, it, I've got to ask, Mel. Yeah. That's not a drug lab you've got out there, is it?
5: No, no, no. We, we are working with uh, Native American plants. They're plants that Native Americans used in making uh, what, what they... Uh, what, uh, this, was a, this was a northern Nevada doctor uh, back in World War One time who found a cure for the flu. He gave this stuff to his... Uh, uh, the, he was a military doctor. He gave to the people under his command.
1: All right, Mel. Uh, hold on. We're we're going to do a break here at the top of the arrow. We'll be back to you, Mel uh, uh, Waters, the guy with the endless hole, is my guest. We will start taking some calls. Anybody have any advice for Mel or thoughts on all of this? Yikes!
0: You're listening to Art Bell Somewhere in Time tonight, featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997. Bell somewhere in time, on premier radio networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM, from February 24th, 1997.
1: I just went, uh, and those of you who listened last week toward the end of the show, a horrible incident occurred with Super Glue, which I really don't even want to go into right now, but a bunch of carts, uh, you know, the carts that we play, like this one you're listening to right now with bumper music and stuff, were in a cart rack and my cart rack came out of the wall and it's in there with some mollies so I went and got some super glue and tried to glue it back in and that's when the disaster began and I just tried to pull my Pink Floyd cart out of the cart rack and I noticed that I had glued my carts into the cart rack Along with wherever else the glue went, which I don't want to discuss, the glue obviously got on these carts and glued them to the plastic cart rack. So now the cart rack is off again, and a portion of the cart rack is in my Pink Floyd cart with piece on it, so I can't even get the cart in the machine anymore. I'm telling you, folks, I'm telling you, you get sick, you get stupid. That's all there is to it. We're going to get back to uh, Mel. <laughs> We're going to get back to Mel in a moment uh, with uh, his sad story of, of the hole, uh, deepest hole maybe in the whole world, as a matter of fact. We don't know. We'll probably never know now. That's the sad part of it.
0: You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight... An encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997.
1: Back now to Mel and the dilemma of the endless hole. Mel, are you there? I am here, Art. All right. There are some people with questions. Do you have anything else you want to say?
5: Um... Just, just that, uh, you know, uh, just after uh, beginning to explore this thing here, you know, with the, the help of your audience and, uh, you know, further um, uh, questioning on, you know, people, you know, that, that live around in my area here, asking them, you know, really, do you remember anything strange about uh, the hole in particular? Well, you I know, would say was, a resurrected dog would be pretty yeah, good. Yeah, uh, I would, it, uh, it you know... T- it, it just becomes more and more mysterious. I have no way of understanding it.
1: I would say a darker-than-dark beam that seems to go straight up into the sky would be pretty strange. Yeah,
5: that, was, that, that, to me, was utterly, utter, utter, utterly fascinating. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, the hole itself is dark. But for it to send out darkness... You know, in, you know, into the sky, to, to me, was just... just I, absolutely I couldn't, incredible. Yeah, I couldn't begin to explain it. I, he, I mean, it was, you know, the way he described it, it was just...
1: All right, all right, look, yeah. let's bring some people on. Sure. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello, where are you?
5: Uh, this is Philip in Tulsa, Oklahoma.
1: Hello, Philip, how are you doing?
5: Great, love your show. Thank you. Uh, Mel, what type of work do you do for a living? Uh-huh. Well, I'm a retired person. I uh, have no, no criminal a, record of any kind? Pardon me. No criminal record or anything. Uh, no, no, no criminal record. i find a lawyer and, and get a local
7: group of citizens and press and militia, and that's uh, a good reason why we need the militias in this country is to prevent this type of situation
5: from happening. The government coming in, taking over your property, threatening your life. You know, I would, I would call their bluff. I don't, I, I don't see how they can.
1: Well, that's easy to say. You know, from a distance, I'm not sure I'd call their bluff. I, I've got to be honest. Uh, it, look, if you had a property, sir, and you're trying to get on it, and they had it all roped off, and they said, "Go away," you know, we could. I, find I would
5: it. come back with a gun. Well, and and they they well, haul in a bunch of then trailers. Then you know what?
1: You'd be you'd be a dead <laughs> martyr. You take a gun up to a military checkpoint. <laughs> i have the press
5: with me, and I mean, I would not go at this alone.
1: Oh, I see. Uh, you know,
5: but to, they're not going to drag in a bunch of uh, military trailers to to examine. A drug lab.
1: <laughs> well, I agree. I agree with you. I agree with you. So they're obviously after the secret of the hole. Um, uh, west of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hi, this is Stan from San Diego. Hi, Stan. Um, I Hello. just got a question there for
4: Mel. Um, if, there, if there was, like, any way that you could charter a plane so you can do a flyover
5: of your property? Um, I... I suppose I could do that. I mean, there is a, a small uh, airport here in uh, in Ellensburg, um, and I'm sure that that can be you know that can be arranged for. Uh, well, what I'd be interested in to know is if actually planes can fly over that area, and I suppose I can yep. try to find that out
1: to get some uh, photographs.
5: Yeah, but again, I do believe that the, the hole itself has been um, uh, covered over with uh with you know the surrounding snow. They probably did a really nice job with what they brought in there of uh of, you know keeping it uh invisible from the air. You know, that that, that was my speculation oh. why they brought the yellow gear out oh. as to uh you know kind of dress it up a little bit there so that uh, uh you know anyone casually going over there wouldn't notice anything. That's just my opinion.
4: Okay, and um another thing is um I got a little assumption of why none of the animals want to go by there why uh, um maybe they see the oppression of the dead dog and it's
1: warning them not to go there <laughs> maybe oh. maybe I mean that's that's pure conjecture who knows but no animals will go near it
5: uh it, you know the, the observations I made was my dogs and other people's dogs you know that, you know, that come visit you know they will won't, won't go with the Go there. If I put them on a leash and try to drag them there, they'll dig their feet in there, and they just will not budge.
1: You know what, Mel? I once was on a trip with my family going to so We used to go to Florida, drive to Florida in the winter, and we once got near a slaughterhouse, mm. and um, uh, on one of our stops. And man, I had a golden retriever, and that golden wouldn't get anywhere. He did the same thing. He dug his feet in, and I don't care how you'd pull, he wouldn't get any, He could smell the death.
5: Well, I, when I was in college, I had a, uh, brought, brought from school, a human skull, and I brought it home, put it on the coffee table. My cat walked into the room, and he saw that thing, and the cat literally jumped backwards about yeah. eight feet. I bet. When he saw that. Now, uh, how, how, how did
1: the cat know? Sense. They sense these things. Yeah. Uh, there's, uh, there's something about it. Uh, first time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello.
4: Hey, Art. This is Scott kirkland washington
5: yes sir oh yes, right hi scott washington, washington.
4: Yeah, not only not only from kirkland i've only been over on my side of the mountains for a little while but uh born and bred in yakima and a graduate of central washington university cool been in, spent a lot of time in ellsberg yeah in fact i sat around with one of my old professors who is one of these guys who has been living in the area for oh god forever and he actually had told me rumors one morning over coffee sitting in a Sitting down in a little, one of the little restaurants about mm-hmm. a great big hole that uh, nobody knew the bottom of. Wow. We'd actually heard of this. This was back, oh, 1990, 1989. Mm-hmm. Sometime about in there, and we even heard that. And the one thing that it really surprises me, this guy that was saying, well, I take a gun in the media up there. What a lot of people don't realize, Art, and I think that most, most people don't realize, is he lives about, oh, depending on where the hole is, between five and ten miles away from one of the largest military reservations in the Pacific Northwest, possibly the western United States.
5: It, it, it is the okay. longest out
4: The, Acuma, the Firing Center is where they did all of the training for Desert Storm. They have a bunch of satellite dishes up there that theoretically don't exist that they use for talking to satellites that aren't there. And all sorts of things, very interesting things go on up there. And so... Something like this—a hole appearing within spitting distance of this military reservation—it doesn't really surprise me a whole lot that they had trucks and stuff out there in a light bulb.
1: Hey, Mel, do we know how long that hole has actually been there? I mean,
5: I I, I can probably trace this hole back, you know, from you know actual recollections, you know, to it, it, for a solid forty years before. I got there, and and the previous owner said it was there. The the next owner back. Uh, Before that, I don't know if anyone owned the property. I suppose I could check on that to see, you know, from the records there if there's been any, you know, uh, uh, you know, ownership of it or was, you know, whatever. But uh, I I can trace it back for a good solid forty years, at least, you know, from from you know the verbatim accounts from the previous owner um you know again i, I don't really know i I, w- I would i would venture to say that given the nature of it that it's been there for a very very long time i'm talking you know not just decades uh, there i mean how can this thing just be there you know it has to be ancient well, I, I wish
4: beliefs. you the best in figuring out what it is, and we're just gonna—we're all of us local here. We're gonna keep tuned in to see if there's anything uh,
5: well, worth y- driving
4: back across the mountains to hang out and see.
5: Well, it, it, <laughs> you know, it, you know, I—I've just been out here for just a couple of years. I decided to retire out here and pursue, you know, my uh, mm-hmm. interest in alternative health, and right. uh, you know, this is what I get.
1: <laughs> all right. Well, it's turned into a nightmare—an yes. uh, absolute nightmare. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello.
9: Uh, yeah, about that hole? Yes, sir. There was a Rod Sterling thing I saw in the TNT, I think, about four years ago. He was hosting it. It was like, it must have been early 80s, late 70s. And uh, there were reenactments of, like, these true occurrences. Yeah. And there was a hole story about a boy. It looked like it was took place, in, like, when they still rode horses or something. And... Uh, A boy woke up with his dog missing or something, and uh, he went looking for his dog and fell into a hole, except, you know, he didn't fall in. He hung onto the edge and crawled out and went and told his dad, and his dad went out there, and they heard noises coming out of it.
1: Oh, God.
9: And so they didn't think it was the dog making the noises, because it sounded real spooky and stuff, so uh, he went to town and got a bunch of guys to go out there with him, and I guess bunch of guys went out there, and they thought, well, let's lower a rope in, and somebody's going to have to go down on it. Sure. And uh, so the dad said, well, I'll do it since, you know, you're looking for your dog and stuff. And they lowered him down, and he made this uh, scream, uh, deadly scream. And so they brought him up, and I guess after that, after they brought him up, he went uh, clinically insane for the rest of his life.
1: All right. Well, I hope you're not in any danger of going clinically insane, Mel. I hope not. Uh, but you sounded close to being discombobulated when I spoke with you. When was that? Uh, that Sunday
5: was Sunday afternoon, I think. Was that
1: Sunday afternoon?
5: Sunday evening. I, it's uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah I, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, you I called bad. me up, and you
1: were you were just a wreck.
5: Yeah, I, I was. Uh, I, any any. Uh, uh, negative fearful emotion I had it there I mean I, I was I was shaking I was sweating I was uh, uh, my my body was doing things that I I couldn't explain it was it was uh, I was a wreck
1: what yeah. do you think about the idea of you're not even going out but sending the media
5: out um, I, You know, I, I could do that as in terms of, you know, saying I think there's something interesting going on over there and, you know, send them out there and, and what I assume that will happen is if they did go, uh, if they thought it was a valid story, they'll say, look, we're uh, uh, conducting military exercises on, on this land here and yeah. uh, there's nothing for you to see, you know, <laughs> and, and uh, I think that will be it. Again, this guy was real clear to me. He said, look, mm. I asked him, I said, look, I suppose you don't want me to talk to anybody about this. And he, and he said, "Hey, no one's going to believe you anyway. You know, you can you, could, you could tell them anything you want. You know, you, 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 you know, why why are they going to believe you?"
1: All right. Well, uh, you know, first time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Hello there. Hi, Hi.
6: Maxine in Southern California.
1: Hi, Maxine.
6: I uh, am very interested in the conversation that's been going on with Mel. I heard the program the other night, and uh, you know, he's really in a big dilemma.
1: Well, he is now, um, and I feel somewhat responsible. Being yeah, I
6: understand all. that. You know, this—the uh, first thing he needs to do is get a good lawyer, somebody that's prominent like that. Uh, I can't really call his name. Spence from Wyoming. That's
1: Jerry Spence.
6: Jerry Spence, somebody yeah. like that, and uh, maybe your your listeners could do a uh, a writing to. Janet Reno, the President or the Vice President, on his behalf, keep him in the background because with the power they've got, you know, they can just wrap him up, and we might never hear from him again,
1: yeah, that's right. um I guess I'm gonna have to stay in touch with you, Mel, to be sure that you you don't meet some uh
5: well well, you know they're 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 working me from both sides here, as far as I can tell what it know. sounds like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, look, it looks like, uh, I, I guess it's like the Godfather. They want to make me an offer I can't refuse. Uh, uh, is, is you know, the it's, I look-
1: it, there's a lot of armchair soldiers out there, Mel, and they're going to say, uh, what's the matter with you? You've got to get in there and fight. Tell them to go to hell. But the fact of the matter is, if I were in your situation, I might be very disinclined to fight. I might be much more inclined to take a, quote, generous offer and get out from under while I can.
5: I, I, if if I get to you know if I actually get to talk to somebody in a position of authority who wants to sit down and talk Turkey and I'm not talking about my uh, real estate agent uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna honestly I'm gonna ask for like a relocation to another country is what I'm gonna do.
1: You want you want to be sent out of the country?
5: Yeah, I, I'd I'd like to be sent to like Australia for instance, you know, uh, uh, like where uh, what Stan Dale is, you know. Uh, be an expatriate. So, yeah, something, you know, some place that's geologically sound, <laughs> um, you know. Probably.
1: Yeah, okay. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel, who's still an American at this moment.
7: <laughs> Hi, uh, my name's Brad. I'm calling from uh, Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, Brad. Hi. Um, this When I heard about this hole, it kind of reminded me of uh, the story with the the hole they dug. I think it was in Europe or...
1: Scandinavia, Scandinavia they, Scandinavia. they lowered a microphone. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That was an Associated Press story, and they lowered a microphone in, and they heard the screaming, agonized sounds of of thousands of people in agony, they said. That was, that was an actual AP story. Now, it may have turned out to have been not true, but AP ran that story.
7: So, um, I don't know. I mean, uh maybe it's the entrance to hell I don't know
5: <laughs> uh, there, there's there's no there isn't even an echo that comes out of this I mean you don't even hear anything. that would I mean and as far as the animals not wanting to go near it you know uh, yeah I mean, yeah uh,
1: there is that really but bizarre. he says there's not a sound I mean it's totally dead right Mel
5: mm-hmm. yeah you, you, I mean unless you hit the side of the thing there when it's when when you drop something in and it's like close to the surface you know you hear it there but after a certain point, you wouldn't hear anything anyway.
1: Now, when you dropped a refrigerator in, I'm curious how you can drop a refrigerator. I, now, 9 feet, 9 inches, pretty good size, diameter, oh, yeah. But how do you get the fridge in the middle to drop it so that you don't slam it into the sides?
5: Well, you, you get you get like uh, one of your buddies over there, and you get it over there on its, uh, you know, so it's like leaning over on its back, and you, and you slide it over on, the, on the, the stone wall, and you just kind of give it a shove, and it just sort of goes straight down.
1: Yeah, and, that makes sense. Yeah,
5: it's it's it, it's not it's not too difficult. I mean, we we've been throwing stuff in it, you know, uh, uh, that hole of all sorts of descriptions here, and, and uh, believe me, you know, we, we we've done it. I mean, you know, it's uh, 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 you know, a cow is a pretty pretty big thing, but people have gotten cows down in there. so That's You can just about throw anything down actually
1: there. Actually, almost disgusting. Yes. Um. In fact, uh, the bottom of the hole, if there is a bottom to the damn thing, must be truly disgusting—a mixture of horrible things of Earth that should not have been thrown in there. Mel, can you hold on? Oh, yeah, I'll be All right on. Well, we'll do uh, one more half hour, and we'll be right back. It is a strange and wonderful world out there. Is it not? Stay right
0: there. You're listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, on Premier Radio Networks. Tonight, an encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th,
6: 1997. And I think to myself... of uh-huh. color. Uh-huh.
0: Listening to Art Bell, Somewhere in Time, tonight featuring a replay of Coast to Coast AM from February 24th, 1997. Good
1: morning, everybody. Mel is my guest. He's got a hole. Mel's hole, we call it. Um, and. Now let's go back and give him a little challenge, all right? Uh, Mel, are you there? I'm here. All right. Uh, I've got a couple of faxes here uh, that are not kind, Mel. They say this man is lying. His voice is shaking so much. He's stuttering. Um, He's searching for words. He's in a bind because you're paying attention to his fable, you know, made-up story they're saying, and um, you have to come up with something that would keep you from finding out about his lie. So here's another one: says Mel's hoax. Aren't you fallen for another one? Well, I am a little naive, and I, I like stories like yours, Mel, and so I do tend to go for them. Is it? I mean, do you swear that this is absolutely the truth?
5: Well, look. I would have rather not have talked or called or faxed or anything in regards to this subject at all.
1: Yeah, the people need to understand you faxed me, but I'm the one who called you.
5: I, I would have, I would have preferred to be honest with you, to to be there tomorrow morning, letting a little more line down into the hole, and uh, and just going along my merry way.
1: And then getting you on the air stopped all that, and plus put the idiots there that are there taking hold of your... Uh...
5: You know, when you have a situation about belief, and what what do you believe in and what you don't believe in, yeah. you know, a couple of days ago, uh, we had this guy shoot a bunch of people on the Empire State Building. That's right. The Empire State Building's been there for like 60 years or whatever. And today I heard that um, they put metal detectors on in the Empire State Building. Figures. Now, for 60 years, people believed that the Empire State Building was a safe place to be. That was belief. And in one day, people no longer believe. So beliefs change. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and that that's that's how I view beliefs, you know, is should they've had a, a metal detector on it for 60 years? All right,
1: look, let me ask you this. Um, you have neighbors. hmm. Uh, they know about the hole. They've been there. They've,
5: they've put, their been trash there. They put their
1: trash in it. They've put their trash in it. Would any of your neighbors talk, or do you think they're scared now too?
5: <laughs> I I'd be happy to talk to them and see if they want to talk to you. All right, and uh, you know I I'd be happy if they want to talk. I'll fax you a phone fax you a phone number.
1: That's that's great, Mel. Work on that one. Um, that's at least one other angle uh, to to approach this with. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Uh, where are you, please? I'm in uh, Cameron, Texas. All right,
5: uh, gentlemen. How how wide is that hole? It's it's uh, nine and three quarters feet. Nine and three quarters feet.
1: Nine nine feet in diameter. Nine, nine feet nine inches in diameter, he said.
5: Okay, uh, Mel. Uh
7: through the to the library, why don't you go tomorrow and uh, they can network books all over the United States. And there's one called The Phantom of the Poles by William Reed and there's one called The Hollow Earth by Doctor Raymond Bernard. Okay. And I'll guarantee you that'll open your eyes, because the Earth is hollow. They've never proved the Earth is solid. And if it's a pose it's totally a hole, and it's about 1,400 miles wide. And people can't see across it, and they don't realize they're going into the the Earth. But uh, Admiral Byrd flew 1,700 miles inside the Earth, and they shut it up. So the government's up to something
5: here.
1: All right, as a matter of fact, here's a fax, Mel, saying, uh, regarding the hole, it sounds to me like the government's going to take the hole and give Mel the shaft.
5: That, that That is what it sounds like.
1: <laughs> West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello.
5: Hi, how you doing? Well. Another fantastic story, Art. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, I appreciate you taking my call. Sure. I have a friend of mine who also believes in the Hollow Earth story. And I've read two scriptures in the Bible, which I won't quote, because I know you don't like to talk about that. That's right. But uh, there's one it's, it's uh talks about making graven in- images of things. Yeah, and that would be even things that are under the earth, and then there's a.
1: Well, what what are you driving at, though?
5: Well, there are scriptures in the Bible that also allude to a hollow earth.
1: Oh, oh, oh!
5: And and so there's one in Revelation that talks about there's, um, they were looking all around to try and find somebody who was worthy to open the scrolls or the seals or something, and even under the earth, no one was found.
1: All right, Mel, are you a religious uh, person?
5: Uh, I wouldn't. I, w- I wouldn't categorize myself as a religious person. Uh, you know, and
1: so then you don't necessarily feel there's any religious significance to the whole.
5: Um, I'm starting to believe that there's some supernatural significance at all. But uh, uh, well, like
1: on, 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 well, yeah, the dog part and the and, and the other thing about the the, the beam of the blackness uh, that certainly would lead in that direction. But on the other hand things that we don't understand, Mal seem as magic.
5: Yeah, yeah, they do. And uh, that, that's, uh, so, you know, th- those are things that I cannot understand, you know, and so I have to say I don't understand it.
1: All know? right, look here. Do you want any help from your representative? In other words, it may be that your state senator or, or your local uh, representative, congressional representative, would help you out, and we could help you out with that, too. In other words, fight power with power. Uh, that's an idea from John in Redding, California, and it's not a bad one necessarily.
5: Well, my local uh, uh, congressperson is Doc Hastings out here, and uh, you know uh-huh. he, he is one of those guys that you know believes in uh, property rights and so forth, and so that would would be an avenue. Again, you know this is this is an opportunity for me to gain as much information as you know I'm also disseminating, and uh, you know I'm I'm going to have to make a decision. You know I, 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 w- when. I go in one direction or go in another direction, uh, that will be it. You know, there's not going to be a point where I could take it back.
1: All right, well, here's another one for you to consider. I've got connections at Strange Universe, Hard Copy, all those kinds of shows. Uh, I could have those people in contact with you in two seconds flat, Mel. Once you decide which way you want to go, um, I believe me, I can have either media power or uh, a government power uh, representation uh, to help you out here
5: uh yeah again I'm gonna to have to the main- the main thing I have to do is decide is this tantalizing enough for me to to move forward and uh you know say, well, i wanna claim this as my own i want to, i want to deal with it on my own basis you yeah. uh do I want to get out of it uh you know do I want to get into trouble i mean you know these these are the considerations that I have here
1: all right here's somebody saying, what about your local sheriff now that is an idea. They're usually pretty friendly guys. Do you have a good local sheriff? Uh,
5: we we have a local police department here, and then uh, we have a sheriff's department. But in, and and they're all great. They're all wonderful people. I mean, they're, every every last one of them's a great guy. Uh, but I don't know. I I don't even know how I would approach this here. You know, my property is being illegally used, you know, by uh no question about
1: it. No question about it.
5: And you have the deed, right? You can prove this? Oh I I can I can prove it's my property. I I, what what I what I don't know is, you know, how can the government use your property? At what point do they develop an authority to use your property? You know let's say a plane crashed there, which is what I was told. Well then they'd have a right to uh you know, salvage the plane, do whatever they're going to do.
1: All right. Uh, let me they read... would
5: establish a right to
1: it. All right. Here's Daryl in Rancho Mirage who says, kidding aside, Mel's hole. If, in fact, he is sitting on top of an access point to an extraordinary depth, he's also right on top of a whole bunch of trouble. The potential military scientific significance can go as deep as one's imagination allows. One thing is for sure. The government doesn't have this kind of response uh, uh to retrieve an old refrigerator. I think Mel better get an attorney presto if he doesn't have one already. Remember, if they accuse him of a drug related violation, they can reco that property in a flash.
5: That that is that is exactly what I believe. And again, I have something on the property. I have an old Prowler trailer out there that's been gutted. And it's where I do a lot of the work I do with the uh the plants they have and you know, I have solvents there, I have alcohol there, I have uh drying uh, equipment out there and um you know, it it uh, you know it would it would take them thirty seconds to to make it look like a you know a methamphetamine lab or whatever it is. I mean, it it just you know it's it's already my lab. I mean, that's where I do my work.
1: I hear you. All right, Hello. first time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. 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 Where are you?
6: Hello, I'm calling from Reno, Nevada. Reno.
1: Okay, speak up, good and loud for us, huh? Oh,
6: okay. Art, uh, I'm sorry, but I just feel like you've got somebody there that's, uh uh, I've got quite an imagination.
1: Well, you're talking to him, so I mean, I, I've, I've just said the same thing to him. Uh, some of the faxes that I've been receiving are saying that, obviously. People don't believe.
6: <laughs> I, I, I just hope that you don't get all wound up in this, like you did the Courtney Brown thing.
1: Well, I look, I get wound up in all kinds of things, dear. I'm not going to stop. That's what I do. Don't uh, worry about me.
6: Oh, okay, well, uh... I was just... Uh, but, I mean, if
1: you if you doubt some part of Mel's story, go ahead and say so to Mel. He's here.
6: Mel, I uh, I think that you're looking for some kind of notoriety for some reason. And uh, I think that you think everybody is pretty gullible that uh, is listening to Art Bell's program. And that you're uh, taking unfair advantage of him.
1: All right. You've got to remember, dear, I called him.
6: Uh, but didn't he originally... Uh, faxed me? Yes, he did.
1: Uh, Well, uh, he faxed me with information. I read, as a matter of fact, I read the fax at the beginning of the program uh, with Mel tonight. And uh, I read it over the air. So uh, he didn't anticipate that I would call him, didn't ask me to call him. And I had to look up at the top of the fax to get the uh, fax ID to call him. So, um, that's the truth of the matter. Um, I have no way of knowing, of course, whether Mel's weaving us a story or not except uh, his word and uh,
5: i can't imagine why why he'd lie i i to be honest with you and uh, you know, since you're from reno and uh the, the main if i wanted to be on the air talking about something i'd much rather talk about my work with uh uh indian herbal remedies uh that would be the thing that i would be preferred to be talking about uh, it just so happens that the uh Materials I'm working from are from Northern Nevada, from uh, your local Indians out there, and they're the ones that uh, have provided me with the line of research that I'm doing. I have, you know, this whole thing is secondary, you know, but if, if I had a topic I really wanted to speak about, it would that, that would be huh? it.
1: All right, I understand.
8: Eight.
0: Now we take you back to the night of February 24th. 1997, on Art Bell, somewhere in time.
1: West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Yes, Art, this is the Skip in Sacramento KSTE. Yes. A couple things for you, sir. The hole that he is talking about,
7: his 80,000 feet, comes up to 15.15 miles per deep. Sounds right. right. The stick uh, discontinuity you're talking about came in the International Geophysical Year. I believe that was back in the early '80s, maybe even the '50s. I'm getting so I don't remember now. Mm-hmm. It's called Iggy, the International Geophysical Year, where all the world population took part, checking the depth of the uh, the uh, of the shelf underneath the oceans and the molten mass down to the core and so on, how deep it was. There was a discontinuity. It wasn't even, and that's why it's called a discontinuity. It was mm. named after this fellow, Mohorovic. Exactly. Your uh, glue stuff, you know, was developed for surgery,
1: for smashed spleens and kidneys. It made to glue skin better than anything else. Yeah, well, trust me, it works real well, sir. Thank you very much. It even glues carts into rocks. I I don't want to talk about it. First time caller line, you're on the air with Mel. Hello. Oh, I think we just missed a wild card line. You're on the air with Mel. Good morning.
5: Hi, Art and Mel. Hi, good, hello. Aaron calling from Reno. Yes, sir. Um, good. I, I have a, a couple of questions and a comment. Mel, have, just I don't know if anybody's asked you yet, but have you ever seen a UFO out around in that area, on your property? No. Yeah, good question. You know, out, out of here. Um, you're, you're liable to see all sorts of things, and I myself have not seen anything personally. I mean, this is this is one of those areas that uh, they can get pretty remote in a hurry. Um, you know, uh, Ellensburg is like 30 miles away on either side from the nearest town. Matter that, of, matter of, fact, of
1: matter of fact, Mel, uh, I've got a lot of uh, confirmation of that: faxes and phone calls, people saying it is a very weird area. Yeah, and uh, they've heard stories there about holes. So. You know, this is not that far out. A lot of people are saying, yes, there's a lot of weird stuff going on in that area. West of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel.
3: Uh, it's Fred from
1: Sitka. Sitka. Alaska. Alaska, all right.
7: Yeah, and uh just like to say that, uh, geez, I thought the the days of uh, you'll just disappear ended with the Reagan administration, and uh, Art, i um, very disappointed that you will not be coming to Sitka on your on your Alaska cruise. well, or You're going to be missing
9: out here.
1: We're hitting quite a few cities, sir, but uh, Sitka is not one of them. Uh, sorry about that. East of the Rockies, you're on the air with Mel.
2: Uh, this is Paul in Kansas City, and I want to tell Mel that I believe him entirely. And um, and I think that Jerry Spence idea is a great idea, and it's probably a good story for Linda Moulton Hal to go check out.
1: Uh, I've already uh, given it to Linda, as a matter of fact.
2: Oh, that's great. And... Um, I, th- I think if he's told o- over 10 million people on the air that uh, he's been threatened that they're going to falsely accuse him of uh, having a drug farm out there or something, and he got a really good lawyer like Jerry Spence, they would never be able to follow through on that. Especially if he had a bunch of media attention like Strange Universe and stuff out there.
1: Well, that was another idea. There's a whole bunch of ideas here on the table.
2: Yeah, I think that I really think he should go for it. And I totally disagree with that lady who thinks he just wants attention.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Uh, I did call Mel, folks. That's the truth. Yeah, he faxed me, but I'm the guy who dug out the number and called him. He didn't really want to go on the air, uh, for the record. Wildcard Line, you're on the air.
5: Finally, I got through. Hello, Art. Hello, Mel. How Hello. are you? Okay. Uh, M- Mel. Yes. Uh, now, with this hole and these people who are on your land, you have to understand they are listening to to this radio program right now. I'm sure. I'm absolutely certain. Of and you also have to understand these are military spooks. They are doing whatever they're doing right now. And anything that you do through the standard channels, like uh, you know, getting a lawyer or, uh, or, or anything along those lines, is going to serve only as a delay tactic. I would suggest to you that you do some research. If it was a plane crash, there has there is radar coverage of that area. I'm certain. There's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There would be a record of it somewhere. Well, unless if the if it's uh, if it's an air if it's an airplane crash, where's the NTSB?
4: Well, in, sir, wait a minute. A... Hold
5: on, hold on.
1: Look, I live out here in Nevada, and I can tell you because there's been some experimental planes that have crashed out here and A, it does not get into the media, B, the military uh, cordons off the entire area, and trust me, you don't get anywhere near it. I know personally that's true.
5: All you need to do is contact uh, one of the aircraft, uh, one of the air traffic controllers for the area and find out if there's any record of anything in that area at that time. You can also uh, find out, I mean, if it's an air crash, where's the NTSB? If it has anything to do with drugs, where's the DEA? or the uh, drug task force for that area, whatever it might be called. Uh, If there is anything to do with anything else as far as uh, the the geological properties of the area, you can find all this information out from USGS. You can get satellite photos and infrared. You can get uh, anything you want.
1: Yeah, these are all good ideas, Um, although I think the plane crash story... Is an obvious falsehood. It's a lie. And, you know, Mel, again, they told you, look, they could find a drug lab there. So the plane crash story was obviously a cover, and the story about the lab was obviously a threat. Yeah. uh, Plain and simple. So, my friend, I don't know what you're going to do now. Uh, And I guess you don't know. I'm
5: going to think about it. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to think about it. I'm going to call the uh, realtor tomorrow for one and ask him. uh, I would prefer not to talk to him, but talk to someone. You know,
1: I would ask him too. Who is making the offer? You have,
5: you, they have to yeah. tell you who's making the offer. Sure. Well, you see, this this property is not for sale. I mean, I don't have a listing out there. So well, yeah, approached. but
1: you you can make an offer on anything,
5: though. Uh, I suppose you could.
1: <laughs> yeah, you can get a realtor and uh, uh, make an offer, and and they will come and uh, give you that offer. So, look. I don't know what else to say or do, Mel. If there's any way I can help you, if there's any media contacts or political contacts I can supply you with that will help when you decide what you're going to do, come to me. If there are any significant further developments that you want, or you get some neighbors who want to come on the Mm -hmm. air, I'll put them on. If you get any drawings, I'll put them up on the website. I'll do whatever I can do to help you, and I, I feel a little guilty about having solicited you on the air in the first place
5: and causing all this. Well look, I'm you know, I'm pretty rattled about this, I have to say. And uh I'm usually a bit more articulate than I have been. And uh you know I, I apologize for that. This look, is a people really are... stressful uh yeah. situation. No,
1: I understand people are just nasty, Mel.
5: That's that, all no that that that's that's fine. And and I generally find that usually the uh uh people that are most well spoken are generally the ones that you really have to watch out for, you know. And um, I know. I I think uh, you know, that's always a good thing to bear in mind. And so uh um, you know, I got I got some thinking to do about this art and I um you know, I appreciate everything that everyone has said. I, I think overall I think I've moved forward in this in terms of, you know, actually being able to resolve this within my mind and I think for that it was good. Uh Quite honestly, your involvement with this may not, uh, um, you know, it, it may be happening now because of your involvement, but it may be happening, could be happening a year from now without your involvement.
1: Yeah, and everybody out there ought to, ought to consider you know, something so these, like this could happen to anybody.
5: Ten million people, or how many How many are out there? They know about this. Uh, Mel, we're out of time. Stay in touch, my friend. Uh, I'll, I'll keep in
1: touch. All right, take care. That's Mel and the story of Mel's Hole, and that's the latest. When there's more, you'll hear about it right here. All right, night all.